Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up in just a bit, going to be joined by our friend Eric Bailey from the Tulsa World, OU beat writer, also a Haskell Indian Nations University alum. We'll catch up with uh, EB, talk all things Sooners, and get that perspective before the matchup with OU and KU coming up this Saturday in Norman. So, Look forward to chatting with Eric about that. Also, it's Native American Heritage Month, and so uh, we'll touch on that as well with Eric. Uh, should be a fun conversation when he joins us coming up later on in today's show. You will not want to miss out on that. Thomas Bridges joins me right now. And, uh, Tom, you and I are certainly keeping tabs on the election, uh, no question about it. And, you know, we won't say about who wins or doesn't win because it, I'm sure, it'd be different for the folks by the time they listen to this show. And, uh, but what I will say is, though, that we're going to try to do what we can throughout today's show to be like an escape for the folks out there to have some time away from politics in the election as much as we can. Because I, I know, you know, it, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on just with what the country's going through of waiting on these numbers and, and all that's going on here. This is a stressful time for everybody, one way or the other here. I mean, this is uh, this is certainly something that you and I haven't seen in our lifetime of, of waiting this long to get these numbers and such. I mean, I've barely slept the last two days, uh, in, in all honesty, Tom. Yeah, I know. I know you've been hard at work trying to cover this election and uh, you know, I stayed up till about midnight last night and, and, you know, went to sleep, woke up at about five thirty, and, and got ready and went to work and came back and, you know, it's hard to take your eyes off of it, especially as unprecedented as this election is, but I agree. It'll be like an escape show. I will say something though, before we get going, I am just so happy, um, of the, just the voter turnout. I think this, you know, the, uh, the most people voting ever, and, and I really do think that this is going to be a new normal. I think people now know or, you know, have just now considered how much your vote actually matters, how much your voice actually matters. Um, and so I, for one, am happy, you know, just for the, the amount uh, of voter turnout. If If 2020 has done anything, it's it's kind of, you know, made us feel like we have, we, I mean, we have a voice, we do have a voice and, and it's, it's being used, it's being put on display now and it's, it's great to see. Oh yeah. Uh, great to see that people are a part of the, the democratic process and engaging in it. That's just a win for America, for everybody to be a part of this. Um, you know, I'll say this, Tom, that you know, Native Americans didn't get the right to vote until 1924. And so you know, I always felt an importance to vote anyway. I've made a point to vote in every election that I've been eligible for in my lifetime. Um, but I felt like when I filled in that, that ballot, I did the absentee thing, that I was doing an obligation just to honor my ancestors for what they fought for, just for me to have that opportunity to place that vote and get that done. Less than 100 years ago that we've had the right to vote. I mean, that was a real honor, I felt, just to, you know, a privilege. I, I was grateful just to get the opportunity to honor them by putting in that vote, uh, if anything else, just for that opportunity. 
Yeah, exactly. And it is, and, and obviously, you know, it, it means more from the native perspective, but just all over, I think it's, it, I mean, it is tech voting as a privilege. Uh, and it's, it's one that we should use, um, you know, no matter your party, no matter your affiliation, you know, creed, color, race, sex, gender, um, you know, anything like that. It's, it's something that America was founded on these values and, and, and you know, and we have the privilege, not, you know, not just as Americans and get to vote in our own election, but, uh, I felt like, you know, hopefully now we don't take it for granted. Uh, I mean, there's other countries out there that don't get the chance to vote on their leaders. Um, and, and so it's a great thing to see the voter turnout and, and, and just mass numbers to the poll, even during a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, which I, I thought really spoke, um, spoke to me. Yeah, absolutely. It did. Uh, it was great to see those involved in the democratic process and, and uh, hopefully this becomes the norm going forward that we see large voter tor- turnout, that this uh, is a good thing to see people take part and uh, go forward with that. And, you know, I-, I understand if you may not like a candidate or two at the top, um, but whether it's voting third party or riding in or it's the local races, you know, the down ballot stuff. That matters. That's just as important, if not so more important, to what happens in your local community. And if you don't get out there and vote, you have no right to complain. Uh, I mean, that is you using your voice when you get that opportunity to fill out that ballot. Um, You know, that's your chance for your voice to be heard, and don't let anybody take that away from you. I mean, that's certainly, to me, Tom, uh, something that, you know, it is we should be proud of something that we should embrace uh is that opportunity to get out there and vote and be informed voters too i think that's the other part of this is not only do we have an obligation to go out there and and vote but to take the time and do the research and get that done that's what i love to see more than anything is not people just voting to vote but taking the time to do the research and be informed and uh i think that uh we heard you and i both did from a lot of people our age that took this seriously that was great to see yeah it was and and everyone did i feel like take it seriously now i know there's some some absentee ballots that i i heard today that uh <laughs> i heard that there were uh you know i heard there were people um writing in um writing in different different things um, like Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck or, you know, putting it that way. And I thought, come on now. Um, but for the most part, it has been serious and, uh, people have taken it seriously. And, and like I said, I, it's, it's should be taken seriously and it's, it's great to see. No doubt. No doubt about it. Tom, uh, we got plenty to discuss today. And where I want to start is, uh, with the Kansas city chiefs as we go around the NFL and uh, the Chiefs set to take on the Panthers this week and kind of to go along what we just talked about with voting and the, uh, you know, initiative, the get-out-the-vote, you know, ideas and all that. Patrick Mahomes, and and you know me, how much I love Patrick and what he's done for Kansas City and how eventful these last two years have been. Um, what we've seen from Patrick is that, not only has Patrick Mahomes become 
the best quarterback in the National Football League, in the face of the league of sorts. But his impact off the field has been pretty powerful as well. Um, not only just showing up to sporting events, whether it's a NASCAR race in Jorts or you know, you know, sporting KC or Royals games, you know, being active in the community in that sense, but letting his voice be heard for things that make an impact, letting you know things be known. You know, he's an advocate for trying to bring the Raptors to Kansas City for this upcoming season. Um, he was very big on getting out the vote and letting and pushing for Arrowhead to be a polling place this year. They hosted thousands of people to vote at Arrowhead, one of the coolest things out there. And, you know, he's now a minority owner for the Royals. And, you know, he's made his voice known when it comes to minority issues and supporting black businesses and such here. I think that one of the things we're going to talk about with Patrick Mahomes for years to come is just how powerful this guy is, that – you know anything that happens in Kansas City, we got to check with Patrick Mahomes about it. Whether it's for his input or uh, whether he wants to get involved in that thing or anything that that goes on, Patrick Mahomes is more than a football player. I mean, this is something I was very impressed with what he did just within the last couple of weeks leading up to Election Day, just to be a part and be involved here. Uh, Kansas City fans certainly have reason to be proud of their Chiefs quarterback, not just on the field but off the field as well. Yeah, he's like a, he's like an honorary mayor uh, of sorts right now. He's like a I don't want to call him a mascot for Kansas City. Uh, you know, mascot can come with a, either a positive or a negative connotation, but he kind of is just a, I would almost call him just the face of Kansas City, uh, and and not a whole lot of better representatives to have. Yeah, uh, just phenomenal and. Uh, certainly reason for Chiefs fans to be proud of their quarterback on and off the field for what he's done and the man that he is and represents this community. Um, it, it's something else, too, and we'll talk football on him in just a second, but the the fact that a guy like this that hasn't been here that long has adapted so quickly and meant so much to the community and the way people have bought in and and the love that's been there back and forth, the fact that he stays here in the offseason, it's quite something special that we've seen this grow so quickly in that sense, too. Yeah, it has. And I mean, it, it this started before the Super Bowl win, I feel like. Uh, I mean, and, and not only has Kansas City just embraced him, but he's embraced Kansas City. Uh, and it's not one of these situations where you, you know, some athletes put on a false front just to keep things smooth. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess when you play in Lubbock, uh, then coming to Kansas city probably feels like Los Angeles. <laughs> right. Um, the, uh, they call KC the Los Angeles of the Midwest is uh, what they dub it as. Not really, but you get my point there. Um, last week against the Jets. I bet he probably feels it. I'm sure he does. <laughs> uh, last week against the Jets, we, we saw the Patrick Mahomes that we did, you know, back in 2018 when he was throwing the football down the field a lot. They were running the two-minute offense and just dominating like crazy um, with what they were able to do offensively. I mean, it was something special what they did. And then last year in, in, in 2019, they didn't have to do as much with the defense certainly stepping up, in particular in the second half of the season. And now here in 2020, 
one of the things that we've talked about this year is that the Chiefs can win in a multitude of ways. The defense came through and won that game for them against Denver. Uh, you go back to week one, it was you know the short passing game that worked so well, and they ran the ball well against Houston as well as they did against Buffalo and just uh, won it you know on the ground. But then this past week against the Jets, we saw something that it's been a minute or two that we've seen from Patrick Mahomes. He just dominated throwing the football through the air and down the field. Now, I always knew Patrick was still capable of doing this, but they didn't necessarily need it from him to play this way. And when the Jets took away the run game, they needed that from him. They needed him to step up like that and uh, play to that level, that magnitude. But now, more so, Tom, what we're seeing out of this Kansas City team, and I know we've talked about this you know, a couple times this year, but uh, it reinforced it last Sunday. And heading into this week against Carolina, I think the Chiefs are going to be fine uh, against Carolina. But it is worth noting that now we know without any doubt whatsoever that the Chiefs can win about any way possible through seven games this year. All seven games have been very different from each other for this Chiefs team, in particular how this offense has come through at this point. Uh, Patrick, he's thrown for 21 touchdowns, just one pick, uh, you know, 2,300 yards. Somehow he's a sleeper MVP candidate at this point. Yeah, he is. Uh, I mean, obviously the front runners are, are there. I mean, probably number one maybe being Russell Wilson. Um, but, you know, there are others too. But, you know, he kind of is a sleeper candidate. And, and, and you can become a sleeper candidate when your team's expected to be this good. But it still doesn't take away the impact that Mahomes has for the Chiefs. I mean, they have the offensive weapons. Uh, they have a pretty solid defense. Um, but I still think if you put Chad Henney in at quarterback, they would not – as much as we love Chad Henney on the show, because we do. We, I mean, I'm big fans of Chad Henney here. Uh, I, we should really get Chad Henney on the show. Yeah. I don't think that would be too tough of a get. We, I we think should, that, that would be incredible. We should get um, him on and drink some Chad Henney Hennessy with Chad Henney. Could you imagine? Oh, if we did like a live remote or something like in the off season and had him on and just got to meet up with him and I would I would buy the Hennessy. I don't even like Hennessy. But it, it would be too it would be like smoking a joint with Snoop Dogg or Willie Nelson. I don't even smoke pot. Um but if the opportunity arose to smoke a joint with Snoop Dogg or Willie Nelson, immediately I'm taking it. That's like drinking Hennessy with Chad Hennessy or drinking Hennessy with Chad Henney. <laughs> That's just an opportunity you don't pass on. But um, Chad Henney, tangent aside, if Patrick Mahomes is not a part of this team, they're not anywhere near as good. So, like I said, you can be uh, a, a, an MVP candidate on a good team, and, and Patrick Mahomes is, but. Uh, you get regulated to a sleeper candidate. That's not to say that he still can't win it. Another thing on Patrick Mahomes, Jones, and, and I feel like I have to mention this because it is the election. Uh, Mahomes, this is a, a tweet from Joe Pompolino. Lino? Uh, probably butchering that. I don't care. Patrick Mahomes asked the Chiefs to turn Arrow, Arrowhead into an election day voting site, but the election board said no to due to a lack of voting machines. Instead of giving up, Mahomes bought new machines splitting the six-figure investment with the chiefs uh i mean 
you almost hate how good this guy is. He lives what he preaches. He does. Uh, I mean, he's the he's the real deal. Um, and, and Kansas City's lucky to have him. Yeah, no question about it. Um, and y- you look at this game with Carolina here. Um, I have no reason to think that this offense will not go off and have a field day with Carolina. I like Matt Rule. I think you and I, Tom, it's safe to say we're both Matt Rule fans. Um, you know, I like what he's doing there, and Carolina has got a bright future down the line. They're still in rebuild mode of sorts. Um, but there's no reason to think that going into this Sunday's matchup with the Panthers, the Chiefs are not going to be able to do whatever they want against the Panthers, whether they want to win it on the ground, whether they want to win it through the deep passing game, the short passing game. I have, you know, absolutely no doubt in my mind that the Chiefs are going to have a field day with Carolina here. That's not a diss on Carolina. They're uh, coming along. They're getting better each and every week. But uh, the Chiefs are just a far superior matchup. This is quite the mismatch come Sunday. I mean, yeah, you know, Carolina, I like Carolina. I, I, I wouldn't call myself a Matt Rule fan just yet. I don't mind him, though. I don't mind him. Um, but and, and I like Bridgewater, and, and, you know, McCaffrey will be back sooner than later. But they did just lose to the Falcons uh, here recently. So, I, you know, Kansas City should be money again this week. Uh, you know, if you're betting money line on last week and this week, you should – should be able to make some money uh, on here. I mean, this is the one you bet the investment on. Uh, you know, I I think this is the uh, this is should be a lock. Uh, it's not, and you, like you mentioned, it's it's not dissing Carolina. It's just the Chiefs are that good, and 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 I, I think as the season goes by and just new storylines pop up each week and and different teams, I think in in good teams, this is the good teams get. I guess kind of get this award or get this honor of kind of going under the radar, just keep doing cheap things. Uh, and, and you're there at the end of the season. Uh, and, and I think the chiefs could get into that realm of, okay, we know the chiefs were good. We don't have to talk about them. Right. Uh, it's getting to that. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And I think the chiefs and the Steelers have separated themselves among the rest of the pack in the AFC right now. Here's where I see the difference between the Chiefs and the Steelers right now, Tom. Yes, the Steelers have an undefeated record and are playing great football right now. Credit where credit's due. I mean, that has been a terrific job by Mike Tomlin and Big Ben and that defense, the best defense in football, not taking anything away from them. But the difference between what the Chiefs are doing and what the Steelers are doing is – the Steelers are putting the pedal to the metal. They're playing at 100%. They're pulling out all stops right now to win these games, and they're winning close games, similar to what Seattle did last year when uh, they had that big winning streak to open up the season. The Chiefs are kind of leaving some stuff in the back of the playbook to save for later, other than that Tommy Townsend uh, uh, <laughs> fake punt pass last week. They're not showing their hand just yet. Andy Reid's being very patient with this team. The offensive playbook is very vanilla at this point, um, and they don't have to. In the big games that they've played, you know, like the Ravens and, and some of these others, they have opened up things a little bit more, and you got to see what the Chiefs were really capable of. That's where I think I would say the Chiefs are better than the Steelers right now is 
the Chiefs are probably playing at about 70 to 75% of what they're capable of. The Steelers are going all out at 100% right now, and they're barely winning these games at the record they're at. I still like the Chiefs more than I do Pittsburgh as far as the best team in the AFC. What say you? Yeah, I, I'd probably do too. It's hard to pick the Steelers, and it's shocking coming from you as you're, you're an OG Steeler. Um, but, yeah, Pittsburgh's trying to pull out all the stops. I, you know, I vote, I picked against him last week. I thought the Ravens would get the better, but that was, that was a great game. Um, the chiefs right now, like I said, they're just keep doing chief things. They're almost getting to the realm and and don't get me wrong. I'm a Rams fan and and I root for the chiefs when they're not playing the Rams Uh, and don't, don't, I wouldn't call this bias for me. Maybe this is a bold take Tyler. And I do this from time to time. Actually, I probably do it all the time. I, I like relating NFL teams to NBA teams and back and forth. And we like to do that here. Uh, the Chiefs, and, and I don't know if it's because it's a COVID year and just, just different things, different headlines. The Chiefs are almost getting into that realm so quickly that they're almost becoming of the I, – I almost this year they feel like the Spurs, the old Spurs in the NFL, just flying under the radar – not, I mean, they're kind of flashy because of the offense, but they're they're not, you know, they're in a smaller market. They're not making huge headlines. There's not been a whole lot of noise on any COVID front. Well-run organization. Uh, I mean, you got Veach and Andy Reid, two of the best. Uh, I mean, the Chiefs feel to me, and maybe it's because I'm a Spurs fan and like, you know, relating everything back to that. They feel like they're getting the old Spurs feel to me of, of we're going to keep doing what we do every year and, and we're not going to tell anybody. We're not going to adapt to any norms. We're going to keep doing chief things and we're going to keep winning. Yeah. Uh, you know, rinse and repeat. It's like clockwork. They know what to do. They know what it takes. They've been here before. And uh, they're looking good so far to this point. And uh, I think that they'll handle Carolina just fine. Should be a decisive win, I think, coming up this weekend at Arrowhead at uh, noon. Some of the other games uh, across the NFL, Tom, starting with tonight's game on Thursday Night Football. It's a rematch of the NFC Championship, the Packers and the 49ers. Um, We'll pick this game coming up later on in our picks segment, Tom, as the Packers are uh, about a touchdown favorite here. But – I don't think that when this game was scheduled, everybody was pretty excited, like, hey, Thursday night football gets a heck of a matchup here. I don't think anybody anticipated the Niners being 4-4 four and four at this point here. They've had a lot of bad luck uh, go their way here, and the Packers uh, aren't playing great right now like they were just a couple weeks ago here. 49ers have a real shot to win this game uh, against Green Bay here and get back on track. Yeah, I think they do, and, and it is in – in San Fran, uh, you know, I think the 49ers, they've been playing real hot cold here, it feels like lately, uh, like a bad Katy Perry song. Um, we'll be, <laughs> you know, I, I think Aaron Rodgers, right? I think Aaron Rodgers outduels Garoppolo. That's not saying a whole lot. Uh, but the, the Packers, they're there in the, in the, the, I think they'll be there towards the end of the season in the conversation. Uh, for for a potential Super Bowl pick, um, uh, not so much on the 49ers, but the 49ers are they can they can do it. Uh, we'll talk about this game, you know, obviously a little bit later on in the show. But I, I'm riding I'm riding real hard with the Packers and Aaron Rodgers this year. You you know that I feel like I say that every week, <laughs> right? Um, 
you know, last year when these two teams faced, the Niners just crushed the Packers in both the NFC Championship game and the regular season matchup. Um, but this feels like a much different game than what it was last year when these two teams played. We'll talk about that more coming up later on. Broncos and the Falcons. Don't know why anyone would actually waste their time watching this game. But the Falcons are a four-point favorite. Falcons coming off a win last week against Carolina. Drew Locke and company, nice bounce-back win against the Chargers last week. Um, You know, I guess I would go with Denver to win this game, Tom. Uh, Denver might have a turnaround of sorts here. They're they're starting to get healthier. Drew Locke played better in that second half here. Maybe Denver can get something going here the next couple weeks. Yeah, maybe so. And, And, you know, if you're Denver right now, yeah, the Chargers, you know, we've talked to them. They're a a a bad or a good bad team. Uh the Broncos are a lot worse than a good bad team ranking. And and I know the Chargers aren't looking so hot of late. They've lost some close ones. And and you know the Raiders aren't super impressive by any means, but um at this point for the Broncos, yes, it's the Falcons, you win games. I'm not for I'm I'm not pro tank. I've never been pro tank. Will never be pro tank. Uh, I'm just not. I, I hate that. It ruins the integrity of the game for me. You play to win the game, even if you don't win any. Um, but at this point for the Broncos, you got to think, hey, it, is Drew Locke really the QB of the future for for the Broncos? I mean. And the Falcons probably think the same way about Matt Ryan. And I mean, this is, like you said, not a game that really anybody should be watching. But I mean, hell, I mean, you got the Jets, the Broncos, the Falcons potentially all in the running for Trevor Lawrence. And at this point, it should be almost said and done for the Jets. But I, I mean, this is one of those games that maybe both teams try to lose. I, I don't know. I mean, it can't get worse. It can't get worse for the Broncos this year, at least. Maybe not as bad as the Jets, but what do you, Jones? It's a little tangenty here for me, but in this situation, if you're the Broncos or the Falcons, do you try to lose this game? Um, I think the Broncos are trying to get better every week. Um, the Falcons, they know they're a dumpster fire. I think the Broncos are trying to win and stay in playoff contention and build for those young guys. I think the Falcons, you, you might throw in the towel here. I, I'm not exactly sure about that, but it is worth. It is a good point worth bringing up. Seahawks and the Bills, we'll pick this game coming up later on in the show. I think the ultimate question about this game, Tom, is do the Bills have enough offense to hang with the Seahawks? They're going to need to play like they did against the Rams uh, about three or four weeks ago. Yeah, they are, and then maybe they used all their, their magic up. Uh, for that game because the Bills haven't really looked too impressive after that Rams game. Uh, I mean, everyone was ready to to buy on the Bills after that Rams game, and, and some people bought. And I, I can't lie, I like what Josh Allen's been able to do for the Buffalo, and, and they've been impressive and, and really taking the – taking the, uh, you know, being um, – I'm trying to think of the word for it, being assertive – with the new opening in that division. And, and, you know, the Dolphins might have something to say about that as well. But been very assertive after the fall of Bill Belichick. Um, so, you know, I, the Seahawks, 
they've been there. They're they're rolling. They could be undefeated right now. Lost it at an OT game with the Cards. That was a hell of a game and super close. So we'll pick this game. Talk about it more later. But I mean, both teams. This could go either way. Yeah, it could. Uh, Bears take on the Titans. This one a uh, a must win. I don't know if that's necessarily the right term for it, but certainly a, a very important, very pivotal game for both these teams to really you know stay on pace uh, to keep the the course going for both these teams. The Bears uh, talk is already brewing up about bringing back Trubisky as being their starter. The Titans um, they've been very good this year, but you know they they've gone through a little. Uh, slumped themselves after losing last week to the Bengals, to Joe Burrow, and then the week before that, the Steelers. Two straight losses for Tennessee. Um, I think Tennessee ends their losing streak. I think they get back on track this week. And I would also add, Chicago, you got to go all in with Nick Foles. You can't look back now. Um, Mitch Trubisky is not your answer. You know, Go ahead and move on from him at the end of this season, whatever. That's what I would say what's – when I look at this and where these teams at are going forward, the Titans are going to be fine. They're still a contender. They should win this game, but the Bears don't even mention Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, no, no joke. Mitch is is done. It's good as good as done uh, for the Titans. I think they ended here too. Titans a lot like the Bills. Uh, started out real hot. Uh, you know, solid defense, good running game. Uh, you know, different in the way that. Maybe Tannehill doesn't get it done like Josh Allen can, but is, is can the offense do enough? But against the Bears, I, I think the Titans can bounce back here. Ravens and the Colts will pick this game coming up later on in the show. And uh, Baltimore not a heavy favorite in this game. And, and uh, I mean, this Colts team at 5-2 and two right now, I've been saying for weeks the Colts are a fraud. Tom, it's eventually got to catch up with these guys eventually, right? I think this could be a big day for Baltimore on the road there in Indianapolis. Yeah, I don't want to see the Ravens after that close loss to Pittsburgh. That's uh, one of the last teams I want to see this week. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. And, I, you know, we'll talk about it later, but Colts looking very nailish to me this week. The Lions taking on the Vikings. Big-time win last week for the Vikings against the Packers. Uh, the Lions sitting there at 3-4. and four. Looks like Matt Stafford is not going to be able to give it a go for them. The Lions should take care of business here. or uh, The Vikings should take care of business here. I would say, Tom, as bad as the season's gone for the Vikings, and I'm sure they missed digs and everything there, I think the silver lining for their season is two things. How well Dalvin Cook's played and then their rookie receiver, Justin Jefferson, has been phenomenal this year. Uh, close to 600 yards, three touchdowns, 31 catches. They have the weapons. Uh, Kirk Cousins just can't put it together. Yeah, I can't. And and really, for you know, it's on Cousins as much as it's on Zimmer. Um, and, and, Jones, we say this every week. We are a pro-fire football coach. Have a pro fire your sports teams coach every week, and and really, if it's not um, Patricia in Detroit, who else is on our radar? It's got to be Zimmer's on our on 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 the podcast fire radar right now. Uh, so is so is Patricia. Obviously, Adam Gase. Uh, Jones, do you agree? Zimmer's on the radar now. Oh, no question. 
I mean, he had something going there for a little bit in Minnesota, had some hope uh, there, but now not looking good for the purple people eaters. Giants taking on Washington. I uh, don't know why anyone would watch this game either. I guess the Giants look good against the Bucks, and they competed with the Cowboys a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, they've played better football. They're talking about benching Daniel Jones. I'll say this. Um, not going to watch this game, but I think it would be a mistake for the Giants to bench Daniel Jones. I think it's way too early to just give up on Daniel Jones. I thought Washington made that mistake with uh, Dwayne Haskins, that they gave up on him too soon either. Um, even though I'm not sold on Daniel Jones, I would like to see him still continue to get a shot with that organization and uh, continue to uh, be their quarterback, at least get that opportunity to do so going forward here. Yeah, I think so too. I think it'd be foolish to bench old Danny Jones. I mean, the Giants the Giants seem to me like they're getting a little bit better each week, maybe. You know, no Saquon Barkley. Uh, who's even the backup quarterback for the Giants right now? That I don't know, to be honest with you. I have no idea. Maybe they should trade for Fitzmagic. Maybe. Um, but I think that would defeat their purpose in trying to lose games. I think they know they're bad and want a high draft pick. Um, Fitzmagic might not be that answer. Uh, I posted the other uh, yesterday, Tom, on a Twitter for Election Day. I said the most important map of this entire uh, election cycle is where in the country that kangaroos are banned. And uh, my buddy Luke uh, Slabaugh from the uh, Fox station there in Tulsa, he uh, responded to me and said, why don't we make the Washington football team the Washington kangaroos? I'm sold. Let's do it. The Washington Kangaroos and D.C. has to legalize kangaroo pet ownership. That If they do that, I, I think it's required that 10% of their team, or at least their kicker, has to be from Australia. We're seeing a lot more Aussies in the college football kicking world. Wait, that we are. Are you a pro king? You, are you you a, have to have an Australian kicker. Are you a pro kangaroo guy? Would you like to see kangaroos legalized in Oklahoma? You know, I like kangaroos. Um, I don't know if you I, – I will say kangaroos are pretty chill, at least in captivity. The, the kangaroos that I saw and got to pet were at a zoo on the Oklahoma-Arkansas border, um, and they had a bunch of them, and they were all kicking it big. Um, and you could pet them, and they were just chilling. Um, but if you've seen kangaroos in the wild, they're pretty vicious. And, um, I'm sure you've seen those pictures of those kangaroos. They look just absolutely shredded, just jacked. And I don't know if you ever saw the kangaroo that attacked the man's dog. And the guy went and fought the kangaroo, punched the kangaroo in the face. It l just stopped for a sheer second, looked at him crazy, then kept attacking the dog. He did the dog. The dog was fine. And the man was fine, and the kangaroo looked fine. Um, but kangaroos, they don't they don't mess around. They can be vicious, and uh, they have a talent, like a kind of like a talon claw, or like a claw on their foot that can really mess you up. Uh, I'm actually really shocked that I know this much about kangaroos as I'm talking. But uh, I think you know I wouldn't be a Washington kangaroo fan, but I like it. I think you know more about kangaroos than Washington or the Giants, Tom. And that's not a slight on your knowledge of them. Yeah. 
You just seem to be a kangaroo expert. I, I didn't know that about you. Uh, kudos to you on that. Texans. Yeah, the, I guess so. Texans and the Jags. Don't know why anybody would watch this game either. Uh, but the Texans are the more talented team. Uh, you know, on paper, the Texans should handle this game. But that's kind of been the story all season long for the Texans is that on paper, they've been better than a lot of teams that they've faced. That 1-6 record comes a lot down to Bill O'Brien and what he assembled with that team. And Romeo Cornell's not much better as their uh, interim head coach either. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm not too impressed. This is, I mean, the Texans just went from very promising to very bad, very quick. The Jags, you know, you have one good year and then you go back to shit. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe I would, I would watch this game if they put a kangaroo in at linebacker. Right. Uh, that'd be great to see kangaroo chase around, uh, Deshaun Watson. That'd be next level. Raiders uh, taking on the Chargers. This game going to be in L.A. To me, Tom, this is a toss-up game. I really could see this one going either way, and this is kind of a sneaky good contest here. Um, the Raiders still fighting for a playoff spot as well. Yeah, they are. And, and you know, the, the, the Raiders, they're – I mean, they can – the Raiders have shown flashes. Obviously, they somehow had their – once in every four years flash against the Chiefs uh, and, and ended up beating them. But they have their flashes of brilliance. Uh, and, and with Gruden, you expect at least a couple of those, uh, no matter the talent level on your team. But I, I think the Raiders can hang. I think they can make they think they can make do. Cowboys taking on the Steelers. We talked about the Steelers a little bit earlier in the show. The Cowboys are so bad, um, you know, they – they played that that quarterback that I can't even say his name right, the, the FCS quarterback with the Italian name, um, were just awful last week. We talked about how good the Steelers are. Danucci. Danucci, thank you. Um, there's no reason to think that the Steelers aren't just going to crush Dallas on Sunday. Oh, it's it's going to be uh, – it, it'll be insane. If, if the Cowboys somehow won that game, they would – the fans would come back out of the woodwork. They'd make Danucci King, and, you know, they would say, this is our year again. Right. My my pastor, he was telling me about Danucci. He's a Cowboys fan. And uh, he was telling me before the <laughs> Eagles game, he said, yeah, he, he kind of reminds me of Tony Romo. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And and then I saw that game. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, the only thing I see out of Tony Romo is the late game turnover. Uh, I mean, that was about it last week. He was yeah. awful, uh, Danucci was. They ought to just pull Kevin Moore from the sideline and say, you know, you're, you're calling plays anyway. Might as well just play quarterback for us. Dolphins taking on the Cardinals. We're going to pick this game coming up later on in the show. But I'm excited to see Kyler Murray and uh, Tua go head-to-head here in, uh, in this matchup, and uh, both these teams have playoffs on their minds here. This is a big game for both teams. Yeah, Jones, these are two of the up-and-coming teams in the league, and, and you know, for the Dolphins, like I said about the Bills, they, they seem to have tried to take an assertive route on the on the hold that, that is that division. And uh, for the Cardinals, you know, it, it, hard-pressed to, to really – you know, do a whole, whole, whole lot this year in the NFC West. But, uh, you know, they're hanging tough so far. 
I think Cliff has done a great job in Arizona, and and I think this is the most underrated game of the week. Yeah, it, it is a, a good football game. Last Sunday, I was not waiting all day for Sunday night to see the Eagles and the Cowboys. Sorry, Carrie Underwood. I love you, but I wasn't. This Sunday, I will be waiting all day for Sunday night. Saints and Buccaneers. Um, we'll pick this game coming up later on in the show. But this is going to be a fantastic matchup, Tom. I think we're in for quite a treat on Sunday night when these two teams go head-to-head. Winner of this game ultimately might be the division champion. Yeah, it could it could end up being that way. And, and uh, you know, I, I said before, and I'll say it again later on, that these teams are the two type of teams that, you know, split a home-and-home. Uh, we could see that here this week, uh, but you never really can tell. Not in that division, not between those two teams. Yeah, that's uh, At least true. with the quarterbacks at home. Right, right. Um, and uh, Tom Brady is just one touchdown back now of Drew Brees for the career touchdowns record. So maybe, Tom, in this game alone, we could see the record go back and forth. That'd be something. Yeah, that would be, you know, I would, obviously you're going to want to see if, if Antonio Brown, what kind of playing time he gets, if any, I'm not, I haven't really looked that up, to be honest. Um, I'm sure he's probably good to go for the game to see kind of his comeback to see, you know, how conditioned he's been, if any, I'm sure he'll be fine. But um, at the same time, if they were to go back and forth on the on the record, that would be uh, must-see TV. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's going to be awesome. Antonio Brown, he's actually living with Tom Brady at Derek Jeter's house. Um, isn't that something? Can you imagine like when when Jeter comes by to pick up the rent check and, and Antonio and Tom Brady are there? That must be a party with those three. Monday Night Football. Patriots taking on the Jets. Uh, this one is a stinker of a game. Um, the Jets, 0-8, for some reason, we had to have them in prime time for, I think, the second or third time this year. Um, this game's going to be ugly. This one's going to be hard on the eyes, but the Patriots should take care of uh, business here. And, uh, I mean, ever since Cam got COVID, they just haven't been the same team. Yeah, ever since that happened, they looked very promising. Cam looked like a, almost like a comeback player of the year. Um, but after he got COVID, it just went downhill. I, you know, I, the Patriots fans finally get their due for after all those years of greatness. Yeah, uh, and uh, now certainly struggling, just two wins on the season. Long ways to go for New England. And uh, only a matter of time before the Jets move on from Adam Gase, you'd have to think, at this point. So there you have it. That's our look around the National Football League here this week. We'll have our O'Connor Advisor Group Pigskin Pick'em coming up later on in the show. We will move on and talk college football now. Time for this week's Big 12 Breakdown. And, uh, Tom, have you recovered yet from that uh, Oklahoma State loss uh, you suffered there in uh, Stillwater last weekend? You, you ended up even in a hotel room and everything. What what the heck happened? You know, it was Halloween. It got too spooky for me to drive home, and so I stayed. I waited at the garage, and then I went and went to my hotel room, and I went to sleep after that. Uh, definitely... Definitely super tired after that game. That that game was at a, was about an emotional roller coaster as this election is, <laughs> um, you know. So 
you know, you just okay, okay, stay still controls her own destiny, so it's it's really up to them now. Right. Um and that's one thing. Let's start with Oklahoma State since uh, we mentioned them there. Taking on K State this week. And and I did some radio this uh on Wednesday in Oklahoma City. I was on two different stations. They brought me on to talk about the OUKU game. And and here's the thing that I I was asked about Oklahoma State on both stations, what I thought about the Cowboys. And this is what I've come to the conclusion to, Tom, is that there is so much dysfunction at Oklahoma State. You go back to this summer with T-shirt gate and all that with Chuba Hubbard. And, you know, if you watch this ESPN Plus show each week, I mean, that program's just so out of whack, so disorganized and so uh, dysfunctional. It was only a matter of time before they gave away a game like Texas they weren't supposed to. And I know that, you know, Thomas here, he goes off on Twitter blaming the officials and all that, but let's be honest. Let's be real here. Oklahoma State didn't lose to Texas last week because of officiating. They lost because they turned the ball over four times, and they didn't pick up any turnovers on the other side. And that's not the defense's fault. That's on the offense. Spencer Sanders in particular with three turnovers that he had himself. Um, That loss was inexcusable. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But I think it's a sign for this Oklahoma State team. I think that they're going to get in their own way at times. They might be the most talented team in the Big 12, but I still think there's another loss or two uh, within the rest of the Big 12 slate for this Oklahoma State team. And it's disappointing because it's not a lack of talent. It's uh, it's just sloppiness. It's dysfunction uh, in this Oklahoma State team. What say you? Uh, Tom, as they head into this weekend's game against K-State. I think they should be fine going up against a freshman quarterback and Will Howard and everything. They're a much better team than K-State, but Oklahoma State certainly had some issues exposed last week in that loss to Texas. Yeah, it's just really the turnovers. If they don't turn the ball over or even cut those turnovers in half, we're looking at a a 17-point ball game probably in in favor of uh, Oklahoma State. Yeah, I, I do go off on Twitter. The last phantom defensive pass interference call was complete bullshit. Uh, shouldn't, shouldn't you know, I will say you don't let it get to calls like that, and that's pretty much what happened. But that phantom defensive pass interference call, Texas would have been set up with a field goal, and we would have, you know, maybe still lost. But I don't didn't like to see that like i said game's done and over with now you can't change anything um but yeah they should be fine against k-state uh knock on wood um but you know you, you expect it uh just as much as you expect OU to lose one game they shouldn't uh you expect osu to at least lose one that they shouldn't and that shouldn't have been a loss to texas could have literally kicked Tom Herman out of the Big 12 with that one. Um, so maybe we did the rest of the Big 12 a favor by keeping him around. All right. Um, we'll talk about old uh, Tom here in just a bit. But uh, I do want to talk about this uh, KU and Oklahoma game. And I'll be at this game in Norman coming up this weekend. And, uh, you know, one of the things I was asked about on these radio shows is, what do you think of this OU team? And, you know, they're 19th in the country. And, um, I've said from this entire time, I've never lost hope on this Oklahoma team as far as their chances of winning a Big 12 championship goes. They're still the five-time running champs, similar to what you talk about with Kansas in, in basketball. They're not out till somebody you know literally takes them out. And 
um, you know, with this Oklahoma team, you saw them kind of like what we talked about with Oklahoma State there, get in their own way. They should have beaten K-State. They should have beaten Iowa State. Um, but from there on out, they've gotten better every single week this OU team has. Uh, Spencer Rattler's maturing. He's turning into a pretty dang good quarterback. I know OU fans were expecting him to be Trevor Lawrence or Johnny Menzel or Jameis Winston out of the gate. I mean, he might be a Sam Bradford, which is fine. Uh, these things just don't always happen overnight, but he's coming together. And that defense, although it's looked shaky at times, here's what I've seen from this OU team defensively, Tom. Um, you know, in the last year and a half under Alex Grinch as their defensive coordinator, they've done a really good job on defense of playing three quarters of football. But in that fourth quarter, they go to that awful soft zone defense, which I hate to see from anybody. Um, you know, I, I put it this way. You dance with the girl that got you there. And OU gets away from what worked for three quarters and tries to, uh, you know, not give up the big play. And ultimately, they see their leads decrease and fall apart down the stretch. That's been the story of this team. But the last two weeks, whether it was Texas Tech or TCU, the offense played great, and the defense took care of business, played four quarters of football. That's the biggest difference in this OU team right now is not only did you get, uh, you know, Stevenson back and, uh, you know, Ronnie Perkins and those guys off suspension, but Rattler is playing a lot better. You found a star receiver in Mims. Pledger looks good running the football, and uh, your defense is playing four quarters of football. I think the best – is yet to come for this OU team this year. I, I still like them to win the Big 12 right now, Tom. Yeah, you know, they do have a shot. Maybe Les Miles gets his first big win uh, in Norman this weekend. I know I'll be rooting on your Jayhawks uh, for sure this weekend. Um, and, you know, if that won't happen, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, they still can do it. Their OU looks to be getting better every week. They look like they put those past losses behind them. Um, could still maybe slip up somewhere, uh, maybe on November 21st. Uh, I hope it's pretty icy in Norman. Uh, I hope they get to slip. But, yeah, OU can do – OU does OU things, and it, I'm not shocked. I can tell you that much. Yeah. I think OU's turned a corner. I think personally that they have. Um, but uh, we'll see. As far as KU goes, um, another good game from Jalen Daniels last week at the quarterback position. Just turned 18 years old. And we're seeing him get better each week. I like what he's putting together. He just doesn't have a whole lot of help. That offensive line that KU's got is just awful. Um, you know, you got Andrew Parchment as one of the best receivers in the conference, but. You know, Stephon Robinson hasn't been healthy. Puka, of course, opted out. The run game hasn't been great. Daniels isn't getting a whole lot of help, but he's still getting better each week, and he seems to be the right quarterback for that RPO system. Defensively, KU can't really blame the defense a whole lot when the offense forces the defense to be on the field as much as they do. Uh, but they're showing improvement. Special teams, that was big for KU when you looked at what happened with this Kansas team just two weeks ago against K-State, they give up two kick, two punt returns for a touchdown. And then this past week, they shored up their, their coverage unit, and they got a kickoff return for a touchdown of their own. So I don't know if KU's going to win a game this year, Tom, but 
it is a positive for Les Miles in this team that they are showing signs of growth, that they are showing improvement, even though it might not reflect so in the scoreboard. Right, yeah. I mean, at, at this point in the game for Les Miles and KU, you just uh, you you take a morale win, you 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 do it to get better every week and, and look forward, obviously, to next season. And maybe you are looking forward to next season, you know, uh, from game one. But uh, that being said, you, you build the program, you do what you can, and, and uh, you know, if you somehow end up with a win, then – Hell might freeze over uh, this weekend if that happens. But you, like I said, you do what you can um, and, and work on different things and try to get better each week. And, and by God, don't pay attention to the scoreboard this weekend if you're a Jayhawk fan. Yeah, if they pull this off, I might have to be the one guy that rushes the field in Norman this weekend if uh, they get this done. You know, I'll probably drive down to Norman. I'll drive down to Norman with you and I'll – I'll get arrested with you this weekend if that happens. Hey, we can uh, enjoy a nice night in the uh, the Norman, uh, the uh, Cleveland County Jail for the night. I'll, I'll take that. It'd be totally worth it. That would be called Cleveland County. Yeah. I'm surprised it's not called Baker County. <laughs> right. Oh, it will be. Give it time. West Virginia taking on Texas. Both teams are 4-2 and two entering this game in Austin coming up on Saturday. Tom, I would say that looking at this game – um, although they have the same records, I feel totally different about these two teams. West Virginia has overachieved. they got to be very happy to be 4-2. Texas is underachieved. You had a nice win against Oklahoma State last week, sure, but they're frauds. Uh, Texas is awful. Um, you know, I would not count out West Virginia's chances this weekend. I think they're a little bit overmatched, but they've been kind of playing over their heads this year, uh, especially the last two weeks with that dominating win against K-State and uh, against Texas Tech. Yeah, yeah, that that was the that was the strange thing. Uh, you know, West Virginia is not out of this and and West Virginia I think I couldn't believe uh last week, you know, against K-State, I you know, gave me hope for Oklahoma State this week, I guess, but they looked really good. I could see um I could see West Virginia doing it. No um Running back for Texas is out. What's his Roshan Johnson, who is uh, pretty damn good in my mind, will be out for Texas this weekend. Uh, West Virginia could do this. I mean, I think it's gonna be a close game. Do you think Tom Herman? You mentioned uh, that I, Oklahoma State potentially saved his job this past week. I was asked uh, doing radio in Oklahoma City on Wednesday if Tom Herman was going to be back next year, and. The way I look at it, Tom, I mean, Texas is, you know, even as much money as they have, they've still been affected by this pandemic, too. I mean, everybody in some way, shape, or the other has. Uh, I believe Tom Herman's buyout is anywhere between 18 to $26 million. Um, I just don't see how they could justify paying that money to buy him out. And with as weird a year this is, um, I would – I would be surprised if Tom Herman is not back in Texas. As much as you and I love to see coaches fired, this is one that, unless the rails just go completely off the track here, I don't see Tom Herman uh, being out of Austin at the end of this season. Yeah, neither do I. That buyout's too high. Um, it'd be hard-pressed to find any college coach just outright fired. 
um, for football team performance on field this year just because of the COVID factor. Uh, I There's no way they fired Tom. Now, if he would have just got shit on in, in Stillwater this past weekend, I, I think the, the fans and the donors would have been like, okay, time to go. Um, but, you know, they pulled out the win in overtime. They had a chance against OU. Uh, I mean, really, I mean, we, we like to joke and, and laugh at Texas woes, and I, this pains me to say, they could have beat OU. They had it against TCU. Uh, I mean, this team could be undefeated right now, and it's it's really what it comes down to is just lack of discipline um, from that Texas football team. Uh, so many penalties. I'd like to see who has the most penalties this year in the Big 12. I guarantee it's Texas. Yeah, Texas or Kansas. <laughs> I mean, it, it'd be one of those two. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> so, uh, TCU taking on Texas Tech. Texas Tech looked really bad against OU last week. Um, they had a couple moments here and there, but, I mean, this team's falling apart. I don't think TCU's very good either, but I, I think TCU's going to win this game just fine. Uh, I, I'm done with Texas Tech. Um, in fact, I, I wouldn't even rule out KU's chances at this point against Texas Tech because – they're going downhill. They're playing worse than what they played uh, just even a few weeks ago. Yeah, and it's it's uh, kind of like you know, you know, uh, new quarterback. I uh, can't remember his name, Columbiani or something like that. I can't pronounce his name. Um, uh, I haven't really got. A, I watched a little bit of the Tech OU game, and he was bad. OU kind of had their way, but. Right. Yeah, TCU should be just fine here. I'm not buying into Texas Tech and what they're doing. Uh, Iowa State taking on Baylor. Iowa State should be just fine. It's the last game of the night, 6 o'clock on FS1 for some reason. Brees Hall's been phenomenal this year. Brock Purdy, uh, you know, kind of up and down, but, you know, he's doing his job, what he needs to do for the most part this uh, Iowa State team. So, uh, Baylor, a rebuilding year, new head coach and everything like that. Iowa State should control it. So, there you have it. That's our Pick 12 breakdown for this week. More on the college football slate in the Pigskin Pick'em coming up later on the show. Also going to talk Sooners with Eric Bailey as we break down OU and KU coming up next. Here the Jones Report. Stay with us. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week from the Tulsa World, it is OU beat writer, also a alum of Haskell Indian Nations University, a uh, friend of the show, Eric Bailey, is back on the program once again. Eric, appreciate the time as always. Hope you're doing well, my man. What's going on? Hey, doing good. Uh, you know, just getting ready for another game week. Uh, uh, Tyler, you've been doing okay? Everything going okay up there in Lawrence? Oh, doing fantastic, man. Uh, always a pleasure talking to you. And and uh, before we dive into the too much shop into this game and everything, I just want to ask you, Eric, uh, with you being a Haskell guy and, and everything, uh, and uh, you know, Brent and I have been heavily talking about this with Indian sports and everything. No, November is Native American Heritage Month. Just, just tell me about that. Just uh, from your perspective, uh, maybe a little bit about your heritage and and being uh, you know a native working in uh, in sports media like yourself. What's that been like over the years, man? Yeah, you know what? It, 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 it's neat because we're seeing more people like yourself and Brent really making an impact in Indian country. And, you know, November is a special time. Um, I'm, I'm Cherokee Creek and Seminole. Uh, and, and it's really neat to be, you know, in this media, just to be able to really spread the word and let people know that Native Americans are making an impact in, in, in mainstream media, uh, like yourself and, you know, like Brent. 
So it, it really is a special month, and I, I really appreciate it a lot. And a lot of my friends, a lot of my colleagues on the OU beat really respect that as well. It's really neat because Oklahoma always has a you know one game a year. They have a uh, they bring out all the tribes of the state, and they have the a flag song before the game. And uh, you know everyone stands in the press box because you know that it's kind of a respect thing. And and I really appreciate the friends in the media that I have on the OU beat that do that. So really, a special it means a lot, and I'm, I'm glad you're mentioning that because November is an important month for the Native American community. Yeah, uh, certainly so. And uh, you've gotten to see. Uh, you know, several Native American athletes uh, right there at OU over the years, from Sam Bradford, probably the most notable, to most recently Creed Humphrey, who, uh, you know, he's going to have a bright future. This guy's going to probably play in the National Football League for a decent amount of time, and uh, he's had a great career at OU. Uh, I mean, pretty cool to see some of those guys uh, out on the field uh, in that sense, I imagine. Definitely great representation, and you see someone like Creed who, you know, is been a three-year starter at center for the Sooners and he is he's going to make a lot of money on Sundays because of his athletic ability and it's it's neat to see those kids uh grow up and really make an impact in, in the NFL I mean Sam Bradford like you mentioned wow I mean the Cherokee Nation uh he, he's an outstanding quarterback had an outstanding career and it, it's really a special I mean you take special pride when you see those kids uh succeed in life that's uh, great to see Eric uh Oklahoma Started off the season with two losses in conference play to Iowa State and K-State, but ever since that Texas game, it seems like this team has turned quite the corner here. Uh, Tell me about the Sooners. What's kind of your takeaways from OU at this point uh, in the season? Well, Tyler, I really think it's just a team that's really finding themselves. And, and it took some time because when you have a new quarterback and Spencer Rattler trying to learn the system, you have some wide receivers that haven't been asked to really be heavy contributors that are really starting to find their way. Uh, that's big. And then the running back position, there, there's just so many new, new, so much newness at the skill positions. And I think that was the key. They really had to develop. And uh, the defense has been playing okay, I guess, but I think the same thing. They, you know, there's new faces across the board that have to make plays, and it's just taking a little bit more time for Oklahoma. And, and now they really, after that Texas game, a four overtime thriller, they really started to get some momentum. They really started to play well, and they're they're peaking at the right time. I mean, they've won 21 straight games in the month of November. And, and I think that, you know, they're going in with a head of steam. So we'll see what happens in this month in these last four games of the regular season. Yeah, uh, certainly so. Uh, Rattler, you, you mentioned him, uh, the redshirt freshman quarterback. What do you make of uh, Spencer Rattler? Uh, we know that OU's had some great quarterbacks over the years, and looks like he's another good one that uh, the Sooners have on hand. You know, he's Lincoln Riley's first high school quarterback to start at OU since Lincoln's been here in 2015. I think the key with Spencer is just to be yourself. I mean, that position has high expectations no matter who takes over that spot, especially after Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts, three players that are two Heisman Trophy winners and a Heisman Trophy runner-up. So those are huge shoes to fill and uh, as a young quarterback I think the Lincolns told him just to be yourself don't expect to go in there and try to be in the highs and rights just go get the job done and I, I think it, it's been hard for him at times but it's just been growing pains and uh, the big thing with him is the last two games he hasn't had a turnover he had two against Texas and I think ball security has been really important for him and, and that's what he's doing now so uh, just an outstanding talent with a great arm I mean his arm he's got arm strength and can really put the ball in places so you see the tools that are there it's just he just needs more experience 
Yeah, uh, I like what he puts together for this Oklahoma team. And just being a freshman, uh, th- this guy's only going to get better. Uh, I- I'm excited just to see where he goes from here. It's You, you look at it, um, Eric, You know, there was no obviously no spring ball and such like that. I, I would like to see what would have happened if he would have had that full offseason to get ready with the ones and, and, and go through all that here. I mean, he's... Even with being a redshirt last year, it, it seems like he's still learning on the fly. Is that kind of what you're picking up here, too, from, from him? You know, that's a great point. I mean, you know, he's someone that missed spring football and really could have benefited from it. And a full spring and off-season workouts during the summer, uh, you know, it, it's his team now. It's his offense. And I think he didn't he was, didn't get a chance to do that. So everything's coming so fast this, this fall. And, you know, you're right. He was there last year. He was able to learn under Jalen Hurts and see how Jalen Hurts handled his business and kind of take a little bit of that. But he, like a lot of like the whole team, man, he was he was uh, not given the chance to take have a spring football season and and learning on the fly is tough, especially at his position at quarterback. So uh, I think that you know six games in, he's really starting to gain his momentum and and you know gain his sea legs, if if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Eric Bailey of the Tulsa World joining us here at the Jones Report this week. Um, the Texas game, he gets benched. Tanner Mordecai comes in, plays just fine, too. But then Rattler comes back and leads him through that four-overtime game. What do you think that did for him and that Oklahoma team to find a way to win that Texas game and the, the switch that turned on? He played so much better when he came back in, too, and has been playing great football ever since, it seems. You know, Lincoln Riley has never benched a quarterback for performance in a game, and that was the first time since 2015 that he's done that. And it was really unusual because it was a 10-10 to game. It was a tie game against your most heated rival. And, you know, Lincoln Riley's coming off a couple of losses, and it, it seemed like a risk at the time to bench Spencer Radler, but I think it was a teaching moment for the quarterback. He learned that, you know, there's other players behind you that we will put trust in if you're having a bad day. And I think it, a light bulb came on, you know, because it came, his benching came right after back to back turnovers. And like I said, he hasn't turned the ball over since. And I think that was the key. I think it was something that's been, you know, Lincoln Riley took a risk. He, he benched him during the game against Texas. Uh, who would have thought that? Tanner Mordecai probably never thought he'd take a snap in that game. And you're right, Tanner did good. He, let, you know, he even scored a touchdown uh, during that during his limited time in the game. But a light bulb came on at halftime. I mean, I think Spencer Rattler realized, I need to go out there, take care of the football, and handle my business. And he really did outstanding. And since that, you know, since that benching, he's really played well in the last two and a half games. Yeah, he's uh, been fun to watch uh, these last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm excited to see what uh, his future unfolds there for the uh, Sooners and Norman. The skill positions uh, at Oklahoma, very young group, lost some NFL talent last year, and lost – NFL talent the year before that. Uh, tell me about those guys. How are the uh, young cats coming along among those uh, skill position players there for OU? You know, the running back position gained Ramondre Stevenson back this past week after a six-game suspension, and he's really added a lot to the running back room. Uh, you're, you're two, two guys, C.J. Pledger and uh, Marcus Major and Seth McGowan, they're all young players, and they had to carry the load through the first five games. And I think – uh, the running game, you could tell they were they weren't the, the team wasn't averaging four yards a carry after averaging six and a half a few years ago, and you know I think Ramondre Stevenson 
really injected enthusiasm and, and talent into that running back room. He ran for 90, 90 uh, or I'm sorry, excuse me, 87 yards last week and had three touchdowns, named co-offensive player of the week. And, and for Stevenson, this is his first time to really be the marquee back, so I think that's key. And then wide receivers, Marvin Mims is such a special player. He's a true freshman out of uh, Denton, Texas. He came on, out into the, into the system as tech, the all-time high school career yardage receive, receiving yardage leader and he, he's really taken his game to the to the college level really well he has six touchdowns as a freshman he's one off the uh, all-time Oklahoma freshman record of seven set by C.D. Lamb and Mark Andrews. Uh, Mims is a special, special player. He's someone that's really taken over that wide receiver room, really the go-to player. Uh, and, and then you have Austin Stogner, who's, who's an H-bag, but his size, he's 6'5", uh, he can make plays, and he's throw it up and he'll grab balls. I think Stogner and Mims are two players you have to watch for this weekend because they've been the impact players in the receiving game. Stogner, I mean, he already looks like an NFL tight end. Uh, you know, I, I see him on the field, and it reminds me of Travis Kelsey out there, the way that he can just catch anything and, and you know, runs like a deer and all that. I, I, I like Stogner and his, his potential. I, I think he's still got his best football ahead of him for years to come. Tell, tell me more about Stogner, what, what he brings to the table here. I mean, he's kind of a, a do-everything H-back slash tight end of sorts. Exactly. And I think, you know, you look at how Lincoln Riley uses that position. Uh, you know, he had Mark Andrews there. He had Grout Cacatera there. He, he, he's, he's really, really used that position and developed into just a weapon. And with Stogner, with his size, it, it, it's funny because, you know, if you get in the red zone, Stogner gets the end zone. It's almost like he's posting a player up in basketball because he'll he'll put his body in position and, and get in position where only he can make a catch and uh just i i think spencer rabbit has so much trust in him and, and sometimes probably too much trust he probably looks at him too much but uh he, he's just an impact player he's a kid that can uh just run routes he's fast he's athletic and i think his goal right now is to get more uh more yards after the catch he, we talked to him about what he wants to improve on and that's the key i mean he's getting the ball in space at times and he just wants to improve on that aspect of his game but he's going to be like you said an nfl talent we'll probably see him playing in sundays pretty soon yeah uh no doubt about that uh you know he's uh something special there uh what do you think is the identity of this oklahoma offense they were such a run heavy team last year with Jalen Hurts at the quarterback position and his running ability. And we know that Kyler Murray loved to run the football himself, but before that, so pass-heavy. What does OU want to be offensively right now, Eric? I think they're striving for that balance. I think, you know, last year, I think with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, you you had to run the ball because that was your strength. I think the key this year is getting a little bit more balanced. Now, Spencer Rattler he he's deceptively quick. I shouldn't say deceptively quick. He's quick, and uh, he, he's smart, and he can make plays with his legs. But it's not like Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray. They're two different players compared to Spencer. But I think Spencer can really do stuff with the ball with with his legs. But I, I think it's just aiming for that balance. They want to get the run game more consistent uh, with Ramondre Stevenson. I think they'll be able to and, and strive for that 50-50 balance. And uh, the, in recent years, they've been able to do that a little more, uh, more under Mayfield than the other two quarterbacks. Uh, but I really think that's the key. They want to get that 50-50 balance and keep teams' uh, defenses off balance. And I think 
uh, we'll, we'll start to see that more probably in November as this, this offense matures. Eric, uh, let's go to the defense. Uh, getting Ronnie Perkins back, I imagine, was uh, pretty big for that group. Uh, tell me about them. Uh, what, what's kind of your takeaways uh, from this uh, defense and Alex Grinch's second season uh, m- managing that group? I think with uh, you know, I think this was big just to have in the second year under Alex Grinch. You saw some uh, some positive things last year, and it, it, the defense is just growing. I think, uh, like you said, Ronnie Perkins having him come back. Uh, he's another NFL talent, and you know his first play uh, back last week, he chased down a running back after a twenty yard gain, and and from his defensive end position, uh, this kid's fast. He's anxious to get on the field, and I think he's a guy that. Uh, Kansas is really going to have to look for this season or this weekend to make sure that they can really keep eyes on him. But uh, defensively, they're getting better. I mean, the the big thing coming into the season was takeaways. They didn't have a lot of takeaways. They only had eleven last year, and, and they're able to, to kind of get more and more. Uh, they had three against Texas Tech last Saturday. I think uh, that that they want that to be their identity. They want to want to be a team that can force takeaways and and get the ball back to the offense and I think they were starting to make turn the corner on that uh, we're seeing a lot of new faces especially on the defensive line I think that's the key uh, you know they lost some NFL talent on that defensive line they lost some players to graduation and they really haven't missed a step in fact I think that's the strongest unit on, on that defense is the defensive line so uh they're playing well under Alex Grant's just been impressed with what they've been able to do in year two now, one of the things I've noticed at all levels this year of football, Eric, um, from high school to college to the NFL, is with the COVID shutdowns and you know the practice time that it took away, we are seeing such poor tackling uh, everywhere. Uh, no, it seems like nobody could tackle. What about that OU defense? Are, are, are you seeing a, a tackling issue of some sorts there? How's this team dealing with just getting guys down and, and you know, you know, fundamentally on uh, that side of the ball. They're getting better, and you, that's a great point as well. I mean, early in the season, you could even see it when, you know, when, the, when uh, Oklahoma played or Missouri State to start the season, you know, it's a, a one uh, or FCS opponent. Oklahoma still had struggles getting those players down, and I think it's just game reps. They didn't have the practice, like you said. They didn't have the spring, uh, and I think it showed. And I think that's probably something that defensive coordinators across the country are just pulling their hair out because they got to get you got to get players to the ground. It just seems so fundamental, so something so basic that they've done since they're little kids and they're having issues with it. Uh, and I, I think Oklahoma, like a lot of teams, are getting better with the more reps they played. I mean, they have had six games of film under their belt. You know, even if if it's technique or it's just uh, poor decision making, I think Oklahoma's coaches have been able to point that out to the players, and it, it's gotten better as the as the year has gone on. That's a great point. Uh, Eric Bailey, Tulsa World, joining us here on the uh, Jones Report this week. Uh, Eric, uh, one of the things, you know, just looking at this this Oklahoma team, after that rough start, now they're right there in the thick of things in the Big 12 Conference. Uh, you know, I, I still think they're the team to beat in this league. I, I never wavered on that. Uh, how, how do you feel about OU's chances of, of winning the Big 12 right now and competing with those other teams in the league? You know, we've seen this uh, over the last three years when they're Lincoln Riley. 
in terms of the college football playoff. I mean, they, they, they'd absorb an early loss and find a way to work their way back and get, in, get into the college football playoff. Now, that's not going to happen this year with two losses, but you're starting to see the, blue, the blueprint being followed where they're getting, their, they're getting in position to make a late run. And like I said, they've won 21 straight games in November. This is their month. This is when they play their best football. It's when they're peaking, and it seems like they're doing it again this year. And it's just one of those things that Lincoln Riley, we asked him about it, and he, he's going to tell us the same thing. That he, he did tell us the same thing. It's, it's week to week, and everything will take care of itself if you just handle your business week to week. And if Oklahoma does, the, the schedule really lightens up. They got Kansas, Baylor, they go to West Virginia. Now the big games uh, in two and a half weeks, Bedlam against Oklahoma State, they have to win that game. But the schedule really lightens up. You got Texas behind you now. You got Iowa State and Kansas State behind you now. They just have to go out there and take care of business, win that big Bedlam game. And I really think if they do that, the dominoes around them will fall. And, and I think they'd be in the Big 12 championship game playing somebody. Yeah, uh, I think you're absolutely right about that, Eric. And and uh, this this Oklahoma team, you know, you, you mentioned you know that they've done this before, taking these lumps early on, but then get better as the season goes. I, I think Eric, we're going to be looking at Oklahoma and saying this is a much different team than what we saw in September. Not just for the players that they were able to get back and such, but the growth of this group. I mean, they're they're learning pretty quickly. I, I'm impressed with the job that Lincoln's done with these group, this group to to grow up as fast as they've had here. Yeah, and that, that's right. I mean, and that's the thing. It's a young football team. We talked about how young the offense was. We talked about the defensive line having to grow up fast, and they have. They're starting to peak at the right time, and it's going to be. I think it's going to be one of those seasons where they're going to get to December and look back and just realize how much of an opportunity they let go when they lost to Iowa State and Kansas State and on fourth quarter uh, rallies against them. I think they're going to realize they really want those games back because they would be in the national conversation again if they just took care of business against Kansas State and Iowa State. Uh, so I, I think that they're peaking at the right time. I think it's going to be a really good foundation set for years to come. Uh, it's just one of those years where two losses, Oklahoma fans aren't used to that. And back-to-back losses, Tyler, it's the first time they've had regular season back-to-back losses since 1999. Uh, that's, that's a crazy stat. It, it took 20 years for them to lose back-to-back games in the regular season. And that that's the kind of weird year that 2020's been for the Sooners. Yeah, uh, I was three years old in 1999, the last time. <laughs> <laughs> that occurred and, and with the weird year um you know everybody's had to deal with you know these uh this covid situation and you know we, we mentioned with spring practices not happening and all that um you know ku this uh, ou team head on took this uh the, the racial injustice issue and, and addressed that head on uh over this summer with their players and everything here I believe, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong in this, I don't think that they've had any games canceled this year. I think they've played every game so far to this point. It seems like of just all the things that have been thrown at them this year that they've handled this situation pretty well other than that rough start they had those first couple weeks. Yeah, it's funny because I got a chance to talk to Jeremiah Hall, one of the the HVACs last week, and I asked him, did you think we'd get to this point of the season? Did you think you'd get five games in? And this was last week. And he said, no, there's no way. He didn't think there was any way they were going to play that many. And you're right. They haven't had a game postponed. Everything's been on schedule. Uh, you know, they have to adjust to, you know, to a couple, you know, the COVID testing every week. They, you know, if something happens, they have had to adjust to it. But they haven't really been hit hard with that. And that's a credit to Oklahoma. They, they've really... 
I was impressed even in the summer with how they prepared for this and how they really were disciplined and keeping their, their players healthy and, and away from contact tracing. And it really is a credit to Oklahoma and, and Lincoln Riley and Joe Castiglione. So, uh, and this is game seven. This I would have, I never would have thought that there would be no interruptions and they would get to this point, but they are. And it, you start, you know, at the beginning of the season, I was thought it might be a two game season. Well, I think there's a good chance it's going to be a 10 game season. And, 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 you know, some of it is just being uh, fortunate too. I mean, you look at the university of Tulsa here, uh, they, recently or today they just announced that they lost their third game against the navy game has been postponed so i think uh oklahoma's just been fortunate that everything's you know the the stars have aligned right and they're able to play football that's uh that's great to see certainly happy for ou that they've been able to get to this point and uh, get these games in when you look at the big 12 um who do you think is their their toughest challenge who do you think is the team that uh is going to give ou the toughest test uh, as far as uh, you know, trying to stop them from winning another Big 12 title here in 2020, Eric? You know, I think it's going to be Oklahoma State, and I really wouldn't be surprised if we see another Bedlam game in Arlington in December, uh, and, and, which is really strange because I thought that once they they branded this concept that Oklahoma would play and Oklahoma State would at least have played by now for a Big 12 title in Arlington, and, and Oklahoma State hasn't hasn't got there yet. I mean, OU's played TCU, they've played Baylor, and they played Texas in that game over the past three years. I think this is really setting up for the first year that we're going to have Bedlam down in Arlington at AT&T Stadium uh, if both teams really just take care of business. So I think that game two and a half weeks from now in Norman is going to be huge. Oklahoma has to win that game if they want to win a Big 12 title. OSU, this is the best OSU team I've seen in a few years. Now, Spencer Sanders had some troubles against Texas last week, but I really like him as a quarterback. I like Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard. That defense is really, really mature at OSU. They're, 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 it's a strong defense. Uh, they lead the nation in third-down uh, defense. Uh, you know, they really stop players or stop opponents on third down. So I think that Bedlam game, we're going to get probably Bedlam part one and Bedlam part two this year, and it's going to be a fun thing for the state of Oklahoma. Oh, that'd be a lot of fun, uh, no doubt about that. What's the excitement level at for, for OU football? We know that you guys love, you know, football so much down there. And, you know, reduced capacity, of course, at games, you know, fans wearing a mask there and everything, slow start and all that. Is there still that energy there of a typical Oklahoma season? What's kind of the, the feelings towards just this Oklahoma team among the fan base right now? You know, when I describe Oklahoma football to people from Kansas, I say it's just like the passion that KU fans have for the Jayhawks. That's exactly how it is for OU fans for the Sooners. I mean, there's so much passion, so much love for Oklahoma in this state, and, and it is different. I mean, they're allowing 25,000 fans in, and it really takes away the home field advantage. You really don't see that. And, you know, the last time OU played at home, they lost. So, you know, Iowa State came in here and got a – or, excuse me, Kansas State came in here and got a win. So, um it's just different. I think everyone's adjusting to the new normal right now, uh, but the, the love for OU football is still there. I mean, you see the message boards, you see our hits on our newspaper website, you see everything, and uh, it's just a, it's just so different, though, Tyler. It's just hard getting used to, and it's hard to realize that this is this is just 2020, and this is what it's like. Uh, but the the passion for OU football is still there. I, I don't think it, it'll ever uh, die out uh, in my lifetime, at least. So uh, they're just rolling with the punches and see what happens. All right, uh, that's uh, that's good to know, uh, Eric. A couple more things, then uh, we'll let you run here. 
Um, give me your thoughts on this uh, Kansas team. What do you think from uh, from your vantage point, your perspective uh, about this Kansas group and and uh, and their hopes of just trying to get anything done here against Oklahoma this weekend? What's kind of your takeaways from Les Miles and that group? Well, I, I know it's been a tough season for Kansas. I really do. And, you know, when you have such a young quarterback, I mean, I'm impressed with the move that they made and he's a lot of outstanding talent, but just so young. And it's kind of like Spencer Rather a little bit. He, he, growing on the fly, it, it, everything is, you know, learning by experience. And I think uh, Kansas, they're, they're getting better. I mean, they're, they're trying to get better. And it's just one of those things you just don't see the outcomes, the results aren't what you expect. And I, you know, I they've played Oklahoma well these last two years in terms of offensively. They've put a lot of points on the board against the Sooners. So I know they're trying to to fill them to you know find themselves again without Puka there. But I, I just I anytime you play less miles. You have to be prepared, and I think that's what Oklahoma is going to have to be. They're going to have to be prepared. They're going to have to really uh, be, you know, they can't take anything for granted. You never can. You take, first time you take things for granted, things get difficult. So I think Oklahoma with Kansas, what they're going to have to do in this game is just really take it drive by drive and, and just execute and they'd be focused. Now, Kansas, like I said, you go into Norman and you just play like you have nothing to lose. I mean, I've seen teams come to Norman and shock the Sooners over the years, and I think that's the key. Just go in there and play loose and tell, tell yourself you can now. Uh, I'm excited to see the quarterback. I really am, just to see what kind of talent he is. And, you know, I, I, I read where he just turned 18 last week. Yeah, I, I can't imagine being a 17-year-old out there running an offense at the Division One level, but that's what he's doing. So, uh, you know, maybe he's your guy. Maybe you, you build that foundation and move forward. And a couple of years from now, you see where you're at with an experienced quarterback. Yeah, maybe so. Um, I, I was doing radio in Oklahoma City with a couple of guys that I'm sure you know, Dylan Buckingham and Jerry Ramsey. They had me on their show um, on the franchise there. And one of the things that they mentioned to me was they said, you know, hey, you know, you look at who Kansas has played this year. Coastal Carolina's undefeated in the top 25 team. West Virginia, Iowa State, OSU. Um, you know, K State. All of a sudden, uh, you know that that schedule, which you know we thought after the couple of weeks that the Big Twelve was just in bad shape, the league was was not doing well and such. And you know, they, they said, "Hey, Kansas had a pretty tough schedule." And it took me a second to realize, well, wait, actually, the Big Twelve has looked better the last couple of weeks than we initially thought. Are, are you thinking that the Big Twelve is is okay? What's kind of your assessment, just? of this league right now as a whole? Is it as bad as we thought it was to begin the season, Eric? You know, uh, it's better than I thought. And that's, a, you know, I didn't think of it that way either. Uh, you look at all the ranked teams that you have in this league and, you know, Kansas have to go, go through them. And even West Virginia, that's a team that's kind of surprising me a little bit. I didn't think they'd be where they're at as well. So I think that, that's impressive with what the Big 12 has been able to do. Some of the early wins, you know, Oklahoma losing to Kansas State and Iowa State, that, that really – the Iowa State team, I, I've always liked Matt Campbell and his programs down uh, – or up in Ames. So I just think it's good for the Big 12 to have that representation in the top 25 to be ranked. Now, the key for the Big 12 is, and it's like this every year, is what, what do you do in bowl season? What do you do when you play out of conference? And I think the out of conference litmus test will be even more important this year because there was no non-conference season or just a one-game non-conference season. So I think that's the key for the Big 12. I mean, yeah, it's great that they're getting ranked. Yeah, it's great they're in the top 25 right now. But I think once you get to bowl games, I think you have to go out and beat those non-conference opponents, especially in the 
year like that when you didn't like this when you didn't have that opportunity in the non-conference season. Yeah, uh, that's a great point, Eric. Uh, before I let you run, where can uh, people see all your great work uh, with the Tulsa World and and uh, follow uh, all what you got going on, man? You know, uh, TulsaWorld.com. Uh, you can always find our stuff on our Tulsa World website. I'm, you know, just proud to be a member of that Tulsa World newsroom staff. And then on Twitter, at Eric Bailey, TW. Uh, and, you know, we, uh, just we're constantly updating Oklahoma stuff on the Twitter account as well. So just at Eric Bailey, TW, and TulsaWorld.com. Awesome stuff. Eric, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. Tyler, thanks so much. Have a good week. Time for this week's edition of the O'Connor Advisory Group Pigskin Pick'em. We take a break from betting on the election to go back to what we do each and every week, and that's uh, college football in the NFL. And, guys, I'll be honest with you, I was so focused on getting my election bets in and such, I haven't really taken much time to look at this week's games. But, nonetheless, it'd be hard to do worse than what I did last week at a 4-6, and six, and I felt like I knew those games real well last week. So, with that being said, a quick look at the standings. Uh, I'm up right now, still in first place, even after last week, at 43-34-3. Thomas is two games back at 42-35-3. Then we have uh, Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor, is uh, is in last place at 36-41-3. TJ has uh, passed up Bo by one game. He's at 37 40 and 3 on the standings. And let's start by bringing in Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor, here to the Jones Report. Uh, Coach, first off, what's uh, going on these days at O'Connor Advisory Group? Thanks for joining us, man. Oh, man. So the election's a big deal. Obviously, it's election week, and uh, we've been hearing so much. Clients have been asking, you know, how does the economy going to be different? with a presumptive possible new president, or even if we continue with President Trump. So uh, we've been doing a lot of research on this. We're hearing a lot of different things from different places. Uh, It seems to be overwhelmingly the same ideas, though. So if you've got ideas, if you're saying, hey, I wanted to see how the election pans out and then think about whether it's the right time to get in the market, it could be. We'd love to chat with you about that and see how we can help you. And where can people contact you, Bo? You can check us out. You can give us a call at 785-856-0720. Check us out on Facebook, O'Connor Advisory Group. It's O-C-O-N-N-O-R. We'll have our website up hopefully in the next two weeks. I've got it at compliance now. So, new website. That's taking forever. Hey, uh, (laughs) but you're going to be there. It's going to be an easy way for people to reach out to you. We'll let you know when that's up. But in the meantime... Uh, contact Bo here at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Also uh, on Facebook and uh, via email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com is where you can reach Bo there. Thomas Bridges joins us as well. And, uh, Tom, last week uh, not only did you get the bet wrong in Oklahoma State, but you got to see it firsthand. That was a little brutal for you, I imagine. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, it was so tough that I decided to stay in Stillwater and it was more of a decision that I made because <laughs> it wouldn't have probably been too good for me to drive back. Um, Smart decision, really. At least at that time. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, it was Halloween and all, and I literally just went 
to the hotel room and pouted and uh, drank the rest of the whiskey that was left in my car. <laughs> um, so, you know what? OSU still controls her own destiny, but not going to say that one didn't hurt uh, because it hurt really bad. Okay. Uh, but on to next week, on to, on to this week, on to K State this weekend. So, there you go. On to the next. Uh, as they say, on to Cincinnati. Um, let's go ahead and get to this week's slate. Here's the college football games. It is number one Clemson taking on number four Notre Dame. No Trevor Lawrence for the Tigers. Tigers are a five and a half point favorite on the road. Number five Georgia takes on number eight Florida in the world's largest cocktail party. We, we got to make it out to one of these games someday, Tom, out in Jacksonville. This is a a bucket list item for me to go to just for the cocktail drinking alone. Uh, Georgia, three and a half point favorite. Number 23, Michigan, taking on number 13, Indiana. Indiana, surprisingly 2 0 to start off the season. The Wolverines, though, favored even after the loss to Michigan State last week as a three and a half point favorite. Number nine, BYU takes on number 21, Boise State. BYU having a heck of a season. Their quarterback, um, Mr. Wilson there, he's a Heisman contender, believe it or not, and BYU's a three-point favorite. And Pac-12 football is back this week. Stanford takes on number 11, Oregon. The Ducks are 11-point favorite at home. In the NFL, it is game number two between Drew Brees and Tom Brady. This time, this game's going to be in Tampa Bay as the Bucks on a roll are a five-and-a-half-point favorite this go-round. Seahawks taking on the Bills. Seahawks are a three-point favorite. Ravens face the Colts, and the Ravens are a three-point favorite on the road coming off that loss to Pittsburgh. Green Bay taking on the Niners. Green Bay a five-point favorite on the road. And this game, I probably would not have guessed this was going to be on the slate at the beginning of the season, but both teams having shockingly good seasons, the Dolphins and the Cardinals, in Arizona, Arizona four-and-a-half-point favorite. So let's get started in college football with number one Clemson taking on number four Notre Dame. Bo, let's start with you. No Trevor Lawrence. How much of that is going to be a problem for the Tigers as they're favored by five-and-a-half in South Bend? I don't think it's much of a problem at all. I think this is this is the, um, the anti-Notre Dame in me, but <clears> – <throat> Clemson's going to win. They're going to win by five and a half. Um, I like Clemson right about a touchdown. Um, Notre Dame's defense is the best part of their team. I just don't know that Notre Dame can score points with Clemson. And I think that's going to be the difference. Um, I think Clemson will score some points, uh, kind of in the high 20s, maybe even near 30. But uh, give me Clemson. Okay. Uh, Tom, who you got here? You know what? I, I think I'm going to have to roll with Clemson, too. It's back and forth on this game. I'm not a big believer in Notre Dame. Uh, you know, I figured that Clemson would do more against Boston College, and clearly it was pretty close. But uh, just with the situation they got thrown into there, I you know, that backup quarterback seems to be Clemson's QB of the future, kind of thrown in the fire. I think he's better this week. I think Clemson as a whole – is better this week because they've had time to kind of say, okay, well, we definitely don't have Trevor Lawrence this week. So, uh, you know, we got to make it count. And I think, I think Clemson steps up for the game. I think they can win by a touchdown. So Clemson, their backup quarterback is DJ. And I'm going to try to say his last name, but more than likely butcher it. Uh, you, I, 
Galia Leah? I don't know. Something very, <laughs> I don't know where he's from. Uh, but anyways, he played much better in that second half last week against Boston College. Um, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time this season, I've made it very clear Notre Dame is a fraud. Um, even with the backup quarterback, I think Clemson's going to be fine, take care of business. So we'll go for three for three. All of us take Clemson on the road to uh, beat Notre Dame there. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party, number five Georgia, taking on number eight Florida. This game in Jacksonville, Georgia, three-and-a-half-point favorite. Tom, you and I, uh, we, we have to go to this game someday. Yeah, we do. Uh, I mean, not only for just the game on the field, but just for the party itself. Exactly. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I don't really care for either of these teams. Um, I am going to go ahead and pick the Gators here. This is this is a tough one. I think uh, it's it. I think it could really come down to a field goal here. I think Georgia could win, but it's it's one of those hook games that gets me here. Bo, you want to come with us to Jacksonville next year? Um, you know, I've been to this game before, actually. Really? <laughs> really? I've done it before. I did it back when I was in college, and it's a blast. Um, they actually don't call it the world's largest outdoor tailgate or outdoor cocktail party anymore because of the legal ramifications of that. They just call it the world's largest outdoor party or something like that. I don't remember exactly how they do it. Oh, we, we don't but, do uh, the politically correct blast. stuff around here. We still call it the Red River yeah, Shootout, so, not yeah, the rivalry. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, it, the Georgia-Florida game is really a lot of – it's cool. I went to it uh, – when I went, it was – God, it's a generation ago. It was 99, 97, 97. And uh, Florida was number one in the country and actually beat Georgia that day. Uh, that's not what's going to happen this week. Georgia's going to beat Florida. They're going to beat them by a little bit as well. Um, the reason I'm picking Georgia is because I'm picking Georgia every week unless they're playing Alabama. So okay. – uh, this is the only team is going to beat Georgia. Um, give me Georgia, and I'll leave that three and a half. Okay. Uh, I'll go with Florida on this one here. Uh, I like tra Kyle Trask and that Florida offense. That A&M loss doesn't look like a bad loss. I think their offense is better than Georgia's offense. I think they outscore Georgia here and, and uh, win this game and cover uh, that three and a half point underdog margin. Number 23, Michigan taking on number 13, Indiana, Indiana off to a shocking start at 2-0 to the season. Uh, Michigan coming off a loss uh, at home to uh, Michigan State last week. Actually, no, that game was in uh, – uh, anyways, uh, they lost to Michigan State, their rival last week. They brought in Jim Harbaugh to beat Ohio State, and they ended up getting out of it, uh, him losing to Michigan State regularly. Jim Harbaugh is arguably the most overrated coach in all of football, but – even with all that being said, and I love to hate on the guy, um, I think eventually the luck's got to run out for Indiana. Michigan's a more talented team. I'll go Michigan as a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Bo, who you got here? Okay, so I know you love just piling on coaches. I was just waiting for you to do that on Harbaugh because I kind of <laughs> felt the same way. But um, you ever seen Blazing Saddles? Oh, yes. Great movie. Okay, so there's a scene in Blazing Saddles where the governor – Mel Brooks is standing there, and he's he's saying, "We got to protect our phony baloney jobs." And everybody goes, "Harum, harum, harum." That is what <laughs> Jim Harbaugh had to say in his coaches' meeting this week after losing to Michigan State. We've got to protect our phony baloney jobs. He's got to win this game. If he doesn't, he's getting fired. <laughs> um, he can't afford to lose to Michigan State. Lose to Indiana. 
who I know played really well week their first game against Penn State and won that game. But uh, I know I think you're also right on the right course there. If Indiana's luck's kind of running out, I expect Michigan to bounce back in a big way. So I think Michigan. And, and they played well week one against Minnesota on the road uh, before what happened last week yeah. in that debacle. So, uh, Tom, who are you going with here? Jones, I, I have to say Michigan. I don't think they dropped two in a row. And uh, I, I think I don't think it's this game. If he was to lose this game, I don't think they just fire outright, fire, fire Harbaugh. But, uh, I mean, this it's the seat's getting warmer there in Ann Arbor, and uh, I, I think he puts us at least a brief stop to that this week. Number nine, BYU taking on number 21, Boise State. BYU been one of the biggest surprises in college football this year. They played the very first game of the uh, the season against Navy and just blew the doors off Navy uh, in that matchup. And ever since, they've played really well. Scheduled not great, but nonetheless, they've been impressive and uh, Boise State last week got a win against Air Force on the road. They're ranked 21st in the country. This game going to be on the Smurf turf in Boise. Uh, Tom, we'll start with you this time. How you feeling about uh, BYU and Boise State? You know, I think it's time for BYU. Sorry, BYU's end to. I can't even talk today. I'm so jumbled up here. Uh, Maybe that's the uh, maybe it's the Mormon Holy Spirit trying to get me to pick BYU. <laughs> they won't let, they won't win this time. Uh, I I think I, I think the uh, Boise State can handle them. I think they're honestly I, I as much hype as BYU's getting. Uh, it's it's undeserved. Their schedule's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, <laughs> Boise State, you know, looked decent or looked actually I thought pretty good in their last game. I I like Boise State at home. All right. I'll, I'll take the three points if you're going to give them to me. Okay. How about you, Bo? So I also like Boise. Um, this, this is one of those games. So we have two games this week that have major, if we get there, college football playoff implications. Obviously, Clemson and Notre Dame. Um, you know, Notre Dame, if that's this is their one big test against Clemson. This is BYU's one test. If BYU wins this, they will go undefeated. Could they sneak in to a back door with – you know, Big 12 teams not going to have a champ, not going to have an undefeated champion. If Notre Dame were to beat Clemson, chance that the ACC wouldn't have a, a, a unbeaten champion. On the other side of that, Boise has lost one game, lost one game last year. It was to BYU at BYU by three. They lost to Wyoming, so I'll too. I'll take Boise. Okay, I didn't see that. I took that earlier. So I'll take Boise. I like Boise here. Um, this is BYU's only test. And I will say, if BYU goes into Boise and plays well and wins, then we could see them sneak back door into that 14 playoff. Okay. Um, I, I got to tell you what, guys. I like what I've seen from Zach Wilson, the uh, quarterback there at BYU. This kid, uh, I mean, he's got NFL potential. And we don't say that about these 28-year-olds at at uh, BYU, you know, very much. Um, ultimately, I'm going to take the 28-year-olds over the Smurf turf uh, in this game, and I think that I would get accepted now as a member of the Mormon Church, and you guys get left at the temple since I'm the only one picking BYU here. Uh, <laughs> I'll go BYU, three-point favorite. Last game, Stanford taking on Oregon. The Ducks are an 11-point favorite. 
first Pac-12 matchup of the season for both these teams. It's going to be the primetime game on ABC. Bo, is 11 points too much for the Ducks? I don't know. I don't know anything about these two teams. In my theory, I'm thinking that Oregon's athletic. Um, I I tend to, in these situations, err to the side of the favorite. Uh, 11's a lot of points, but I'm going to go ahead and take the Ducks and go that way. All right. How about you, Tom? I got to go with the Ducks here, too. I mean, that's just the safe pick, considering we don't know anything about these teams. Uh, so, like I said, I've, I got to go with the Ducks. I don't feel confident in either way, to be honest, because we haven't seen these teams. But uh, nonetheless, I, I got to go with Oregon. All right. Uh, I'll go with Oregon as well uh, on this pick here. Uh, I really liked what I saw from Oregon's defense last year. Stanford, uh, under David Shaw, it seems like they're getting worse and worse every single year at this point. Um I'll go ahead and take uh, Oregon to cover as an 11-point favorite at uh, home against Stanford here. Let's move on to the National Football League. The Saints taking on the Buccaneers. Last time these two teams met, it was the Saints that got the best of the Buccaneers in New Orleans. Now they head to Tampa for round number two. This time Tampa, a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Bo, let's start with you this time. Both these teams each have two losses on the year. Tampa, a heavy favorite. What's different about these teams now compared to when they played week one? Well, you got Brady's got more time now. Uh, he's got more time. He's got more time. Fournette's had more time to get used to their offense. Every bit of my being as a football guru of any kind tells me that, that the, the Bucks are the way to go in this game. But that's not what I'm able to do. You see what hat I'm wearing right there, Josie, right? Hey. <laughs> That's so, yeah, I'm taking I'm gonna take the Saints. I think it's low scoring. I don't think that Breeze, I mean, I think Breeze is washed. I've said that for a couple of weeks now. He still can't throw the ball in my backyard. He had one really great pass late in the game, back to the middle of the field last week. But uh I the Hoodat fan in me has got me taking those five and a half points. So Okay. That's what I'm going to do. All right. So uh, you'll take the Saints there. Uh, I got to disagree with you, Bo. I'm going to go with the Buccaneers. And if you recall before the season began, I said that with Tampa, it's going to take time. And I picked the Saints week one, and I was right about that because I thought that the Saints were going to be the more ready team for that week one game. Here we are nine weeks later and Tampa has emerged. They get Antonio Brown this week as well. He's going to make his debut. That offense is clicking. Even when they had a down game last week against the Giants with all the guys that they were out, Godwin and, and several others, they still found a way to win. Uh, I like the Bucks to take care of business at home and uh, ultimately win this division uh, there in the NFC South. Tom, you have been a hater of the Bucks all season long. What are you going to do now with the Bucks favorite at five and a half? I'm going to take the Bucks. Uh, I said at the beginning, hey, I, hold on saying, I think these teams were going to, uh, right. I thought the teams were going to split at home. Um, the Saints got the first one. I think the Bucks get it this week. Okay. Uh, so are you on the Bucks bandwagon now? Hell no. Uh, I just think they win this game. Hope I'm wrong. Because if they win this, see, our we have a bet going on here that if the Bucks win eleven games or more, Tom owes me a hundred bucks, 
and if they go ten and six, we don't owe each other anything. If it's nine or nine and seven or worse, then I owe Tom a hundred bucks. And based on the way this season's going, Tom, I feel very confident that you are going to have to write me that check for a hundred dollars, and uh, I'm going to buy uh, a lot of uh, a lot of steak or something with that of some sorts. Well, you might need a. Yeah, I was gonna. Never mind. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Well, you can feel confident about that. I feel confident about something else. Um, but <laughs> either way, I will take it on the chin and pay you the hundred dollars. But if uh, Greg Williams decides to show up in Tampa Bay this week and take out Tampa, uh, <laughs> I don't want to hear anybody crying. Oh. Uh, Bo, what do you think about our bet here? Who do you think's got the edge going forward on getting this one? I like to push ten and six. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, at this, at this point, the, I'd take the push. Bucks record right now. I, that's what I'd have to see. They uh, two. They have two losses. We are in week eight now, so they are six and two. Two. They haven't had a, yeah, they haven't had the buy. I saw that earlier, but I was looking at something. Yeah. Okay. So six and two. Okay. So Jonesy, you got it. If it's eleven and five or better. Yes, eleven or five or better. He owes me a hundred bucks. Ten yeah. and six, it's a push. Nine and seven. I think or it's worse. eleven and five or ten and six. Yeah, okay. I think it's eleven and five or ten and six. I think All right. eleven and five is probably likely. Okay, so I got the edge. Uh, I like that. I like the position I'm in on getting paid here. Seahawks taking on the Bills. You got to like you got to like going six and two in the first eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I will not complain. What uh, is it? the uh, Seahawks taking on the Bills? The Seahawks are a three point favorite. This game in Buffalo, not necessarily a must win game for either one of these teams, but certainly could say a lot about where these teams are at on the season. Uh, Tom, we'll start with you. What do you think of this matchup with Seattle favoring on the road here? Yeah, Seattle, they, I mean, they've been playing real good, minus the, the cards game, and that one went to overtime. Uh, I mean, and bounced back the next week. I, I think the Seahawks have this game. I think the woes could potentially continue for the Bills, and hell, the Bills kind of got to watch out for the Dolphins. We'll get to that game later, but, uh, I mean, obviously the Patriots making their way out and the Jets what they are. Maybe this is the new norm. I hate to say that since it's been said so much this year, but the new normal Bills versus Dolphins for that division. Um, I still think Seahawks get the best of the Bills this week. All right, Bo, what say you? Uh, Are you selling the Bills? I don't know how I feel about the Bills. I know how I feel about the Seahawks. So I'm taking the Seahawks. Um, you know, they've lost the one game to Arizona. They've won one game by one point. Every other game they've won has been by five or more. And so I'm taking Seattle minus three. All right. I'm going to go with a Seattle minus three here. Russell Wilson's having a heck of a season. Uh, I think they win this game simply outscoring the Bills. Uh, you know, they turned this into high scoring, and uh, the, the Seahawks proved to be better offensively. Ravens taking on the Colts. The Ravens are a three-point favorite on the road. Ravens have lost two games this year. Not bad losses. The Seahawks and the Chiefs, the top two teams in the AFC at this point. The Colts, kind of sneaky right now at uh, two losses on the season. Tom, we were saying just a week or two ago to sell the Colts that 
we're not buying anything about this team. I still feel that way, and I'm not discrediting them, but they're going to hit this wall eventually. I think the Ravens could win this game big. I like the Ravens to cover three, and I make a statement here. What say you? Yeah, I like the Ravens too. I mean, they're going to want to bounce back after that close game with Pittsburgh, and I think they do it here. I think this is the wrong week to to mess with the Ravens. I damn sure wouldn't want the Rams playing them this week. So um, I'm just happy the Rams are on a bye this week. Uh, but tangent aside, Ravens should win this game big. All right, Bo, what say you? I like the Ravens as well. I think the Ravens are going to bounce back in a big way. Um, I'm waiting for the Phillip Rivers meltdown. It's coming. Oh, it's only a matter of time. Um, only a matter that train's never late, right. and the Ravens can play defense. Yeah. I expect a big game out of Lamar Jackson too. I think he wants to remind some people he's still a great, still a great player. So, well, and to beat the Colts, right. I don't think he needs to throw the football down the field, and that's his problem. Um, he can be himself and run it like he does, and have a big day. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's an easy pick there to go with Baltimore. Packers taking on the 49ers. The uh, 49ers are in uh, rough shape right now. The Packers didn't look so hot last week, uh, you know, in uh, losing to the Vikings. And then a couple weeks before that, I uh, got handed a bad loss to the Bucks and such. Um, Bo, Packers are favored at five, but they're not playing their best football right now. What happened to the Packers? Uh I think the injury to Aaron Jones is what happened to the Packers' offense. I think he's a phenomenal running back, and their their offense is running best when he's running the football. Um, they had Williams in there. Now, he's got COVID and is out. Uh, and then I saw that uh, the 49ers, obviously, as we record this, they've closed their facility for a day uh, because of COVID stuff. So this game might get pushed to uh, Monday. But uh, – I like the Packers. I, I just think that Aaron Rodgers, I think that offense is going to score some points. The uh, the injuries are killing the 49ers. They lost Kittle and Garoppolo last week. George Kittle is their offense. I know everybody sees the way they run the ball. They do run the ball really well, but it's so important to run the ball with having George Kittle and the way he gets in space and what he does. Um, so I think that's going to be too much for the 49ers to overcome. I'm a George Kittle fan. I love him, and uh, I still don't understand how Bob Stoops didn't recruit him straight out of Norman High School. That's one of the great mysteries of Oklahoma high school football, but nonetheless, uh, they're going to miss him there with the uh, Niners. Tom, uh, what do you think about this uh, Packers-Niners game? The uh, Packers favored at five and a half here. Uh, do you think the Niners can uh, can get this one? They really need it. I think this is going to be a close game. I, I think I it will pick the Packers to pull away here, um, but this is like a this is a toss up game for me. Uh, just the way the 49ers have been playing lately has been hot and cold. Um, so I will stick with the Packers here. I will stick by my man Aaron Rodgers, uh, but I do think it's going to be close. All right, three for three. I'll go with the Packers here as well. I like. Aaron Rodgers, in this case, to uh, take care of business and get it done uh, on the road. Uh, the, the 49ers, I mean, Garoppolo can't even put it together. He's a hot mess right now. Uh, I'll go with the Packers here. Last game, Dolphins and the Cardinals. Cardinals are a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Two of the biggest surprises in the NFL this season. Uh, Tom, we'll start with you. What do you think about this matchup? Uh, certainly 
fun to see the future of the league here between uh, Tua and Kyler Murray. Uh, wasn't too long ago these two te- these two were playing head to head in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, and and you know they're going to battle it out where the Fiesta Bowls played. Um, so we'll see who gets the better of who. The Dolphins coming off their defense looking real good after they just obliterated my Rams. I don't know if that was more on the Rams for shit in the bed or more on the Dolphins that their defense looked just that good. Uh, Dolphins, man, it's it's hard to pick this game. I will I will roll with the Cardinals, but. I would not be shocked if, if the Dolphins pull this off. It's just kind of what kind of hangover they're coming in after that Rams game. And and they obviously aren't in Miami this week. So um, this this should be – I think this should be a great game, underrated game. Yeah, very underrated game. I'll go with the home team. Give me Arizona to take care of business at home. But the Dolphins have certainly been impressive. Love what they did last week against the Rams. Uh, two is a lot of fun to watch, but ultimately Arizona too much. And – both these teams are playoff contenders. I'll go with Arizona four and a half. Bo, we'll give you the last word. Who you got here? Jonesy, I like the Dolphins. Um, I'm taking the Dolphins because I need to catch up on a uh, on the pick segment here. And uh, I mean, the extra pick would be good for me. But uh, I'm impressed with the Cardinals overall. Uh, but the NFC West is so competitive. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where uh, I think everybody's good in that division right now except for the 49ers. And uh, I'm going to stick with that the rest of the year because the Fort Niners injuries. But um, yeah, give me I mean, give me take the Dolphins. It's kind of counterproductive in my brain, but I also got to get caught up here. This pick segment that's the only way I can do it with us agreeing so much this week again. Yeah, uh, great minds think alike. Uh, I, I think that Not last week. <laughs> yeah. I don't think either one's a bad pick. This one might be the hardest game for me to choose between the Dolphins and the Cardinals. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but just a final thought on this. I I love when we have fresh blood, you know, some some new kids on the block. And both these teams have bright futures. I think they're only going to get better and only going to be competitive from here. Uh, I like that both these teams are in playoff contention. Uh, Tom, I know you probably don't like seeing the Cardinals be good in your division there in the NFC West. but uh, Everybody's good in my division. Yeah, but I I don't think these teams are going away anytime soon. Uh, Probably not. Now with, you know, the the Patriots being done done for, and, I mean, can we officially write them off finally? Um, But Dolphins and the Bills, you know, the Bills, I like, you know, as much as I don't like the Bills because they beat the Rams early on in the season, I like Josh Allen, and and Tua really didn't impress me against the Rams. He was playing the Rams. It was really the defense that won that game for him. But um, he's just getting his start. So, yeah, I think the Dolphins could be around a while. I think the Cardinals, unfortunately, will be around for a while. Um, I think that whole division – the NFC West will be around for a while, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's uh, there's a bright future in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these two teams are going to be around for a bit, that's for sure. Bo, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us, man. Uh, any Thank final you. thoughts? Any final thoughts before I let you run here? Um, God, let's hope I'm better this week than last. <laughs> you know what? I'm I may not be great at picks, but I am good at my job. So. If you uh, need some financial advice, we can definitely help you there and probably do a little better than what we're doing in these pick segments right now. Why gamble away on these football games when you can invest right. with O'Connor Advice? That's right. Yes. And we uh, want to be your partner, so give us a call. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I'll see you next week. Looking forward to it. 
Brian O'Connor, O'Connor Advisory Group, 785-856-0720, 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Also on Facebook, at O'Connor Advisory Group. couple more things before we get out of here today. The NASCAR Championship coming up on Sunday from Phoenix International Raceway as uh, the Final Four is come down to Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski, and Denny Hamlin. And Denny Hamlin has the most wins of the year of that top four. He's got seven, uh, Logano with three, Elliott with four, and Brad Keselowski with four. The story of this Final Four, though, is who's not in it, and that's Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick dominated the regular season, won the regular season title by over 200 points. And with the playoff format, they reset the points each round, and so his lead was reduced. He went into the final race of the round of eight with a 42-point lead, and he finished 18th, I believe, 17th, 18th, somewhere around there, and his lead completely evaporated. And after this historic season Kevin Harvick's had, one of the most challenging seasons in the history of the sport, might I add you, without having practice and qualifying, the pandemic, of course, going on, and you know sometimes racing two times in a week with uh, these uh, you know midweek races because they had to make up time and such. With all that being said, Kevin Harvick misses the Final Four. Um, you know, Kevin Harvick was pretty frustrated about it afterwards. He was saying, hey, this is not how Petty and Earnhardt won championships. You know, those guys won championships before there was a playoff. And in the old Winston Cup system, Kevin Harvick would have had the title clinched back at Texas about two or three weeks ago. So I feel for Kevin Harvick. I get that NASCAR wants the drama of the postseason and to have, you know, something come down to the very finish and have the excitement. No question it was exciting, that race at Martinsville. I mean, Kevin Harvick was one spot away from making the playoff and wrecks Kyle Busch on the last lap in an effort to try to make the playoff. That was certainly exciting. They got what they wanted with the excitement, but it almost feels like a gimmick. If a guy does that well and can't be a part of the championship, I'm all for a playoff in NASCAR. Um but there's got to be a better way to reward a guy who's been far better than everybody else all season long. Um, this is not March Madness. You know, this is a whole season of NASCAR racing. Um, I, I feel for Kevin Harvick. I, I know that you know he knows what he needed to do, and he didn't accomplish that. I get that. Uh, but at the same time, the system is, is flawed. There needs some be some retooling of some sorts. Tom, what did you think about? Harvick uh, missing the final four. Yeah, you know, I was thinking the same way that you thought, and I, I, th- I think you pretty much summed it up perfectly. And you know, some I would say most fans of actual just the sport of NASCAR, maybe not driver by driver, but you know, just a fan of the sport itself would probably say the same thing for integrity wise. This is not March Madness. This is not a one shot, one opportunity type deal when you've been racing like Kevin Harvick has all season. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure that there will be some changes made. I mean, Kevin Harvick is just that good. He's good for the sport. I mean, he's competitive. He's a great driver. He, he just wins his ass off, you know. He's, it, so for him not to be in it is just is a little off. And, and 
And like I said, you hit the nail on the head saying this is not March Madness. You have to have a take a whole season in account. And, uh, you know, they, they just they, they missed the mark here doing it this way. It's almost like the NBA All-Star game when someone gets snubbed. Kevin Harvick got snubbed. Yeah, he certainly did get a snub. Uh, you're you're absolutely right about that. It it almost feels like, and I'm not trying to take away from whoever wins the title this weekend, Tom, but it, it doesn't feel right that Kevin Harvick is not at least competing for this. Um, and here's what I mean: if Kevin Harvick is in the Final Four after the great season he's had and loses it in the final race. You know what? You, you didn't get it done when it mattered. That happens. Um, but to see him not even get the shot to compete for the championship, that's where I feel that NASCAR is wrong in this and where their system is set up here. Um, I would say that of this Final Four, if Denny Hamlin wins the title, seven wins, he's been right up there with Harvick, I think that's a legitimate title. That's well-earned, well-deserved. Any of the other three, I'm going to be raising my eyebrows a bit and saying, eh, I don't think the right guy won the title here. Right, yeah. It, it, it's it's going to end up being that way. It's just like, a, I mean, you want you want drivers like Kevin Harvick to be in it. I mean, it. yeah, it's a little gimmicky, like you said, but, I mean, you want your best drivers in. Um, and so leaving, you know, having Kevin Harvick out of this, your best drivers are not in. Right. And uh, the championship race on Sunday is going to be at Phoenix. And uh, Phoenix has been arguably Kevin Harvick's best track historically. So he was excited about having the championship race there. He was liking his chances of winning the title uh, there at Phoenix. And the way this championship race has worked over the years, traditionally been at Homestead, Miami, now they're racing at Phoenix. Um, the champion has tended to be whoever won the race. That you know, I was talking to David Starr about this uh, a couple weeks ago. He straight up admitted to me. He's like, "Yeah, we move out of the way for the championship contenders. We don't want to get in their way at all. We want to let them decide the champion." And so, I still think that's going to continue. The winner of this race will be the champion. Um, you know, looking at recent success at, at Phoenix. Uh, Brad Keselowski has the best average finish there, 11.14. Denny Hamlin at 12.57. Chase Elliott at 14.29. Um, among those guys that are you know competing for this, Joey Legato is uh, at 17 is where he's at, way back there. None of those guys have done great at this track over the years. I would think, Tom, that Denny has to be the favorite for what he's done overall this season. But Chase Elliott, I think, is your second guy in line. Uh, you know, he found a way to advance with that big win last week at Martinsville. First time he got a win on a short track. Um, he's had a really good playoff run. And what he's been doing the, the in the last, you know, 10-plus weeks or so, he's really kicked it in gear. I think those guys are the two to beat right now. It's uh, I think it's going to come down to Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott. Winner of the race wins the title. Slight edge of Denny, but I think Chase is going to be right there uh, competing toe-to-toe. Those are the two I like uh, on Sunday with an edge for Hamlin. Yeah, I would give the edge to Hamlin, too. He, he seems the 
he seems the easiest choice maybe here, but he, you know, sometimes the easiest choice is the best choice. Um, I mean, he, he knows how to get it done. Um, and, and, you know, Elliot's going to, I think Elliot will be there too, but I, I think if I had to give it to somebody, I, I would also pick Hamlin. Denny Hamlin, he has gone the most races of anyone in the history of the sport without a cup series championship, uh, and the most wins rather. 44 career wins. He's been the Cinderella a couple times. Um, it, it seems like it's only a matter of time. I mean, Denny Hamlin could be a two-time champion right now. Instead, he's still looking for his first. They, they say you have to lose one to win one. He's lost one a couple times. I mean, it, it feels like he's due. Is that kind of what you're feeling here too, Tom? Yeah, it's kind of like the L.A. Dodgers were due. Uh He's got to be due. Yeah, I think that's a great comparison to the Dodgers. Uh, the Dodgers had been so close so many times. So we'll see how it all plays out. Should be a fun race on Sunday at uh, Phoenix, the uh, NASCAR championship race uh, coming up Sunday afternoon uh, from Phoenix International Raceway. Before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. We, we said we were going to try to not talk about the election, be an escape of some sorts. Um this one, though, is just too funny not to uh, not to talk about. Um, Tom, this is uh, quite bizarre what uh, went down with uh, this story this week. Yeah, Jones, it really was, and and it it only you know we said we're not going to go for the election type type situation here, but this is I mean it's sad. It is it's sad, and I, I feel for this man, but uh, at the same time, it, you know we don't. We don't care if it's sad or not. If it's Tom Fullery, it's Tom Fullery. And this was a one-of-a-kind story. North yeah, I don't think it's probably ever happened before. North Dakota politician who died from coronavirus for wins house race. North Dakota residents elected a dead man to the state legislature Tuesday. Republican David Andall, 55, died October 5th after a short battle with coronavirus. Less than a month later, Bismarck voters sent him sent both him and David Nearing or Dave Nearing to the state house of representatives out of District Eight. Early Wednesday morning results had Andall garnering about thirty five percent of the vote in the district, Nearing beating him at about forty percent, according to state election board. State Attorney General Wayne Steinagem ruled last month that all votes cast for Andall should still be counted, and that if he won, a vacancy would be created in his seat. The seat could then be filled either by a legislative member's party or a, by voters in a special election. District 8 Republican Chairman Lauren DeWitt said an appointment would be open to anybody who would like to. Um, I want I want it to be open and fair, he told the paper. And all cattle rancher and a race car driver was hospitalized for four days in early October after testing positive for coronavirus. He had a lot of feelings for his county and wanted to make things better. Uh, and his heart was in farming. He wanted things better for farmers in the coal industry, his mother told the Tribune after his death. So many things he was very passionate about and was hoping that he could get into the legislature and be of some help. He was looking forward to it. He was looking to forward to being a part of that. Jones, I feel for this guy. Um, he is one of many coronavirus deaths. Um, at 55, too, that's, you know, that's crazy. You, didn't, you know, I know, you know, people of all ages are dying, but 
Uh, 55 kind of puts it in perspective just because that's the age range my parents are in. But um, at the same time, people, I mean, still voted for him after they have, uh, you know, still knew that he had passed away. Uh, maybe he was that good, Jones. You know, if a candidate, I guess it depends. I guess it depends on who's running. If a candidate that I was going to vote for had passed away, I don't know if I would, you know, maybe maybe still vote for them for like a, uh, you know, in memory type deal. Or, you know, I, I don't know. I, this is, like you said, one of those rare things that we don't really get to see this really doesn't ever happen if ever i don't know how i would vote right um what do you do at that point i i feel for those involved that had to make that choice um and what about the the voter out there one of the things i've said many times about being this informed voter and such what about the voter that didn't even know this guy was dead um, and just voted, you know, party line or or didn't even realize he was dead. That's who I feel for is if you voted for the guy and found out after the fact that he was dead, uh, I don't know how I would react if I was in that circumstance. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's just a – yeah, it's, it's almost funny. Like, I mean, for whoever lost to him, it's like, oh, man, you're so terrible you lost to a dead guy. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, uh, you would you would never you're never going to live that down if you're the opponent. But, uh, you know, at the same time, maybe there's some benefit to it that can be filled by, uh, you know, another member of that guy's party. You know, it didn't specify which party. Uh, North Dakota is pretty red. So maybe I would I would guess maybe a um, it was a Republican. Yes, I would guess maybe. Okay, yeah, I was figuring. Um, but so maybe, you know, maybe that's why you just get the essentially the rights to the seat, maybe. I'm not sure how that works because it doesn't happen. Uh, I'd like to see the stats of, I mean, the last time that probably happened was like, you know, way early 1900s type situation. <laughs> right. Um, they didn't take him off the ballot or anything like that, just kept him on. And then. He died as a dead guy. That he he must be looking down, thinking to himself, "Wow, I must be pretty good at this. I'm dead and I'm still winning." Like that to me, if if I'm dead and I'm still winning stuff like that, I would actually be feeling pretty good about myself in my afterlife. You know, and I bet his family is happy. I mean, oh, granted, yeah. yeah, your relative's dead and your loved one's dead. That I mean, that sucks. But uh, I mean. You know, if if Jones, if you were running for for whatever, and you happen to pass away, and you still won, I would be like, "All right, Jones." You know, it would still <laughs> suck. Uh, but I mean, he could have just got blown out. You know, right? And I don't. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's just a weird position to be put in, and that's why it's tomfoolery, right? Man, uh, I think the guy that lost it from him, and we don't know anything of the specifics of this race of who the people are and such, how can you ever recover from that? I mean, even if you move on to hold, hold higher office or some sorts, or if you become an executive of a company or whatever, 
I mean, that just remains with you the rest of your life, that you lost to a dead guy in an election. Yeah, you know, that or you're arguing with your wife and just over something stupid and, you know, go ends up going to, you know, he could be, maybe not even your wife, you could be arguing with anybody and someone just drops a freaking personal tag and goes, well, you know what, whatever, at least he didn't lose to a dead guy. Uh, you know, that, I mean, that's got to be pulled out. I mean, if I was him, I'd just retire. I would just be done in politics after that. It, it reminds me of uh, Tom. And especially because he probably the, the opponent probably thought he was going to win. The the, uh, the stain of it. You, you, you remember the show uh, Parks and Recreation, right? Oh, yeah. It's one of my, it's probably one of my favorites. Remember when, uh, you know, Ben Wyatt, his, uh, his whole background on that show, his claim to fame was that when he was 18 years old, he was the mayor of Partridge, Minnesota, and uh, he ran the town bankrupt because of a uh, winter sports complex called Ice Town that he created and was impeached after two months in office. And everywhere he went, uh, half the people knew him as the uh, the, Al- the Ice Town mayor. I mean, yes, that was a television show, but that stuff sticks right. with you. I mean, it, it doesn't go away. Exactly. It, it lives with you. And, uh, you know, that's... Uh something that that could end up you know coming down the line i mean yeah yeah i mean is it it's almost more tomfoolery for the person that lost than it is for the guy who actually passed away right i don't know i think so i think that's fair i mean in the mom the mom of this guy is talking good about him obviously mom's gonna talk good about you if you're dead alive or in jail um but you know, I mean, I mean, I think if you went to jail, I think your mom would still have some good things to say about you. Your dad, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> your your dad was roasting you when you left your wallet in my car before you flew off to Miami for the last NASCAR championship. It carries you out. That's been about a year. Um, oh yeah, but yeah. I don't. I you know that's see that's something that'll stick with you too. That's right. another thing. It's, it's, I just brought that up a year down the road. Oh, yeah. Are you did. leaving your wallet in the car if you're going to the NASCAR race? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, that Sunday night, I interview Kyle Busch, get the one-on-one. That was so cool to get the exclusive, the exclusive after he won the championship. And the next day, my dad's calling me about my wallet and making sure, like, uh, hey, you safe? You're going to be okay without your wallet and all that? And, and being a good dad. But it was like, Dad, uh, I, I just – talk to the champion everything's fine <laughs> i mean but you know that's how parents think and then you got steak and shake bought for you is that right that was after daytona i went to after oh, okay. that was okay it's- after the nascar championship friend of the show david Starr, who we mentioned earlier um he took me and dominic and a couple of our buddies he, he took us out to the olive garden There you go. You know, where do you go after interviewing the champion? It's like, you know, they say, we're going to Disney World. Jones is over here like, we're going to Olive Garden. We're going to Olive Garden. When you're here, your family. family. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) On that note, we will run. Next next time I'm going to go, I'm going to tell them, well, family eats for free. Exactly. Exactly. There we go. Yeah. Uh, 
If we're family, you're buying the booze then. Uh, that's how that works, too. There you go. On that note, we got to run. Uh, big thanks to uh, Eric Bailey for joining us. Uh, also want to thank our family, the listeners, for stopping by as well. When you're here on this show, you're definitely family uh, for hanging out with us as long as we do this show. Um, we are on social media, believe it or not. Twitter, at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Insta Thomas Jones underscore report is where you can find us there. Subscribe to the show, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, leave us a five-star review, or don't leave us one at all. And we'll see you right back here on Monday for another edition of the Jones Report. We'll have a look back at the weekend that was in the NFL and college football. And barring rain, we will have an NASCAR champion on Monday as well. So we'll recap all that more coming up on Monday's show. We will see you then. For Thomas Bridges and Eric Bailey, along with Brian O'Connor, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you on Monday.